Hey, it's Bill Simmons from The Ringer, and this is a podcast called The Rewatchables. We have been doing it really since 2017. It started with how much we love the movie Heat. We decided to structure a whole podcast with categories, most rewatchable scene, who won the movie, Apex Mountain, what age the best. But here's the thing. If you want the full archive, you can hear them only on Spotify for free, by the way. So make sure to follow The Rewatchables on Spotify. I'm a Time Lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casterberus. I'm 903 years old and I'm the man who's going to save your lives and all six billion people on the planet below. You got a problem with that? No. In that case... Allons-y! Ringerverse, your Nexus podcast feed for all things fandom. I'm Joanna Robinson, and joining me is my favorite companion in all of time and space, Mallory Rubin. Hello. How are you? I don't want to go. Oh, no. You can't start there. I don't want to go. How dare you? Listen, it's a Friday, and maybe you're tuning in. You're like, hey, I remember last week they said they were going to cover Secret Invasion this week. Surprise. We're going to save all of our Secret Invasion thoughts and feelings for the finale. So the Midnight Boys, the Midnight Boys in House of R will be back next week with all of our takes that we've been building up over the last couple of weeks about Secret Invasion. So that means today, instead, Mallory and I are covering our final chapter of the Doctor Who rewatch that involves David Tennant, season four and the specials that come after it. So that this is a this is a Doctor Who. It's a Doctor Who day. Surprise, the TARDIS has arrived. Not where it's <laughs> supposed to, as as always. That's how it goes, um, yeah. Quick programming reminders elsewhere. As I said, Secret Invasion for both House of R and Midnight Boys next week. But before we get there, there's a lot of other things you can check out. Our beloved Jess Clemens, if you're looking for Secret Invasion stuff, Jess already has her video up about Secret Invasion. It's already up. You can check that out. I really recommend. I There's nothing I love more, actually, than listening to Jess talk about Secret That's like maybe my favorite part of Secret Invasion is Jess covering <laughs> Secret Invasion. The videos um, have been absolutely wonderful. Wonderful. Speaking of Jess, the Mint Edition Pals will be covering Barbie this weekend. Barbie, a movie I absolutely loved and adored. And so, you know, come on, let's go party with the Mint Edition this weekend. And then on Monday, there's another video game pod on the feed. So there's a lot going on. Mallory, how on earth is someone expected to keep on top of all the things that are (laughs) happening in the Ringerverse feed? Oh, I have a few recommendations. The first would be to follow the pod. Follow mm. the Ringerverse on Spotify or wherever you Brilliant. get your podcast. While you're at it, go ahead and follow the Ringerverse on the social media platform of your choosing. The Ringerverse is on Twitter. The Ringerverse is on Instagram. The Ringerverse is on TikTok. If you have thoughts, feelings, yeah. questions, theories, your favorite memes of David Tennant's doctor, anything, 
apple thoughts, mushroom recipes, you can send your emails to hobbitsanddragons at gmail.com. I have to tell you, um, I know you've been you've been quite busy this week. I know that you have not seen Oppenheimer yet. Um, and I'm so excited to hear what you think of it. But I just need you to know that it starts with a very significant Apple moment. And I saw the film Ooh. with our pal Rob Mahoney. And when it was over, he's like, How do you feel about the fact that uh that was a Granny Smith Apple Joanna? How do you oh, feel? It's, I'm gonna say it's not great for Apple Wars. <laughs> not great. Oh yes. Oppenheimer. So um... as if Barbenheimer <laughs> could have gotten any more meaningful. Here on the Ringer podcast. Think Network. of me My fondly when you oh, when wow. you get to that moment. Um, I uh, I enjoy your new uh, your new Twitter avatar, by the way. Thanks. Good all apples all the time. <laughs> um, spoiler warning. As yeah. I said, we're here to talk about season four, and then all of the specials that come after it. Actually, there's one we may not talk about at all, but we're definitely going to talk about every the very final moments of Dave Tennant. So if you have not seen through the final moments of David, if you have not watched David Tennant transform into Matt Smith, you have not done all the viewing for this episode. That's what you soon, you know, right. Geronimo and Matt Smith is the tail end of the last episode that we're covering here today. Mallory is already pre-morning <laughs> the loss of David Tennant. Yeah. I tried to um, learn everything I could about pre-grieving from <laughs> the last season of Succession, and yet nothing could have prepared me for the experience of I don't know that, farewell. I don't know that Roman Roy is a model of, of pre-grieving. It's true. So there you go. It's true. I learned what not to do. Um, our dates, I don't want to like hard commit to anything because we were supposed to do this uh, episode in June, and it is July 21st as we're recording this. <laughs> we're being a little free and easy with the Doctor Who rewatch. A lot of people were like, are you even doing it? Guess what? We are. We're definitely oh, yeah. doing all of it. In August-ish, maybe probably all actually September, we shall see, we will be covering the Matt Smith era of Doctor Who. That's what's coming up on the Doctor Who Rewatch program. So season five and season six in their entirety. And then this is my executive decision. Season seven, episode four, Power of Three. Season seven, episode five, Angels Take Manhattan. And then the two specials, The Day of the Doctor, The Time of the Doctor. That's the assignment. I'll put okay. it in writing somewhere so that people can know. But like, if you want to watch all of season seven, if you want to be a completist, yeah. I support you. It just feels like a lot of homework. So if you want to skip some things, those two season seven episodes and then the 2013 specials. I haven't figured out. I'll what be watching I'm... every second. I know. I know you will. <laughs> I just want to give you permission stop. to skip. I want to no. give you permission to skip if you need to. Ugh. And then in October... We're going to do the best of Capaldi and Whitaker. Mm -hmm. Again, Mallory might be watching all of those seasons all the way through. I support her if she does. But I haven't I haven't put that curriculum together yet. So right. we will get to that when we get to that. And then November, the three specials themselves. And that brings me to like what I want to start with. Mm -hmm. Actually, before I start anything, I just want to I just want to cite two Doctor Who creators that I watched a lot of their content and prep for this episode. And it's. Uh, a woman named uh, Ellie at Loose Leaf Ellie, love love tea, great great name on TikTok, and the Rambling Man on YouTube, both have like excellent Doctor Who content that I was sort of slurping up. So I just wanted to sh shout them out before we get started. But speaking of the specials, these three specials that are coming, these anniversary specials, I am so jealous of you, Mallory, because you have finished your time with Tennant and Donna, and you only have to wait until November. 
to see them back together again. I've had to wait. I can't imagine. Years and years and years. (laughs) So now that you've spent more time than one episode with Donna, now that you've met Wilf, and we should say that the great Bernard Cribbins, who passed away in July 2022 at the incredible age of 93 um before he did in may of 2022 he was filming these doctor who specials so wilf in some capacity will be in the doctor who anniversary specials donna will be there what does it mean to you having seen especially how donna's story ends that this is like do you understand now why i was losing my mind (laughs) that donna and ten were coming back for the specials so i i I don't even know like how to process everything I'm feeling. It's all yeah. so new and fresh. I rewatched. I mean, we talked on the last pod about how I had I had watched the trailer. I didn't know if I should, but I kind right. of couldn't resist. And it was so out of context for me that it was like exciting, but didn't I, I didn't know really how to process it or like what what it meant. I rewatched it last night and it was one of the many times <laughs> that I like basically just dissolved, ceased being a human being made of skin and bone and tissue. It just became <laughs> like a puddle on my floor. I was like sobbing because all of these little things, these little tiny indicators and references to what had happened at the conclusion of their arc, which again, I just had no like frame of reference for. I understood right. in full now. So the emotion, not only of being back with, David Tennant, but of being back with Donna and them together and what will happen. I have no idea, but will Donna remember, will there be a way that she safely can? I just like was absolutely overwhelmed. It's 55 seconds. I felt like I lived an entire lifetime in that span. (laughs) I'm going to cry so many times today. I, I, I just like, I can't wait to talk about this with you. I know this is one of your favorite seasons of TV ever. I'm so excited to hear all of your thoughts and feelings. And like, I, it's just really special to get to share this with you. These episodes are so important to me. Like this story is so foundationally important to me and how I understand stories. And uh, the like, poor Isaiah is filling in for Steve on, <laughs> on, on the production work today. And I already told no. him before we started recording about how much we were going to cry today. And I pre-apologize. Um, <laughs> And I'm already like tearing up because when we were we were texting about it last night and I was just like I was genuinely like tears are kind of pouring down my face because it means so much to me, to a lot of people in this world to share the stories you love with the people you love. Right. And so it means so tremendously much to me that you are watching this show and um and especially this season, like this is just, this is it for me. And, and, you know, there's, there's much more to come. That's fantastic. But this is like the height of everything for me. So, so glad to be here with you Um, on, on the, like what, I don't know what, what is going, what storytelling excuse they're going to use to bring Catherine Tate back into the fold in the anniversary specials. Here's a quote from Russell T Davies, who is also coming back um, to run the show, starting with the specials. He said, maybe this is a missing story or a parallel world or a dream or a trick or a flashback. The only thing I can confirm is that it's going to be spectacular as two of our greatest stars reunite for the battle of a lifetime. I mean, I know it's hype and hyperbole, but like, I'm like, yes, (laughs) two of our greatest stars. Yes. Gather David. It's like uh, Ud Sigma is here with us, Joe. You know, the song is ending, but the the story never ends. That's how I feel right now. Aren't the Ud incredible? Great Um, stuff from the Ud this season. Great stuff. um, 
something I should say, maybe some extra credit that we can do in all your spare time um, is Catherine Tate and David Tennant did a really fun production of Much Ado About Nothing. It's not my favorite, but it's like really fun to watch them as Beatrice and Benedict. So if you like start to get withdrawals before November and you need like a little injection of them okay. together, like, like yeah. you can watch that. That's available online. Um, all right. So we are going to do a sort of like, like we did last time, we're going to do like a broader check-in for some of our bigger themes that we've been tracking. And then we're going to drill down on sort of four specific episodes. It's a bit of a cheat this time because two of those episodes are two-parters. So really it's kind of, we love a smuggle. We're smuggling six episodes into our four episode check-in spot. But we're going to begin here with just like a, quick check-in on the RTD era because now you've seen it from the beginning of Eccleston to the end of Tenet. This is Russell T. Davies as right. showrunner begin to end. Um, in fact, in the final episode, he wrote everything up through Tenet's um, you know, transformation and then passed the script off to Stephen Moffat, the new showrunner, who wrote everything that Matt Smith says, including Geronimo in that, um, in that final episode. So it's the real passing of the torch moment here. How are you feeling about this era overall? I know you don't have the other ones to compare it to yet, but like, how are you feeling having watched them? Transformed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like forever changed. You know, I have regenerated and this is the, the new me, (laughs) the one who has seen these seasons of, of Dr. Who. I was thinking back to, you know, you asked in the the first pod we did if I had like a prediction or a anticipatory guess about who my favorite doctor might be. And I was leaning Tennant, but kind of kind of on the fence, uh, Tennant and, and Smith, because I love both of them so much and in so many other different roles. And I um, am ex- very excited, to be clear, to spend time with Matt Smith's doctor, who I'm sure I'll love. I adore Matt Smith. I am very much right now in the stage of like not being ready to say goodbye to something that I is really meaningful to me. And these seasons were just sensational. I mean, I love seasons two and three, as we discussed mm-hmm. at length in our second House of Who pod. But this season, I mean, the fourth season is just spectacular like truly one of the best seasons of tv there are very any doctor who season i think i've I've seen enough now to understand has its its peaks and valleys and that's kind of i think part of the fun of it really but so many moments in this season are not only intriguing from a sci-fi or time travel or paradox perspective like I thought there was not only enough of that but kind of an ample quality of it to really intrigue that part of my mind as a genre fan but the depth of emotion and poignancy and theme and character and specifically the way that the individual arcs are running in tandem with the shared arcs everything for 10 on his own everything with 10 and Donna Ten and Rose all of the children of time Wilf I mean is this the part where I just say that spoiler wolf is my favorite character in the show and one of my favorite characters in the history of television Uh, holy shit and like i think he's very emblematic of the way you're describing this stretch of the story overall right where you have this like thirst for and and desire to go see the stars right beautiful moment beautiful idea 
Wilf looking down from the spaceship to Earth, that sense of like always having wanted to see you is incredible, right? (laughs) But so much of what we get from Wilf is like the heart and it's the tether, it's the anchor, it's the thing that gives all of the adventures that we get to go on with the characters and that they get to share together, like feel so meaningful. It's what allows them to to be that little ood brain that we're holding in our hand. It's except it's a who heart. <laughs> oh my God. I think that <laughs> they're peaceful. Um anyway, um I think that being able to compare what he does here with what we've seen him do since in something like It's a Sin, something that we loved, years and years, Fantastic. another yeah. thing that we loved. Amazing. Uh, I think you can see a through line of storytelling that is very character and relationship driven. Yep. Um, and I would say we'll talk about this more when we ha- when you have more of a taste for Moffat. But I think comparing this to Moffat, I would say Moffat, well, we don't even need to go there. You can look at the the Moffat written episodes that we've covered right. so far. You have Girl in the Fireplace or Blink or the Library Twofer that we get in this season. Like these are phenomenal oh, episodes, yeah. right? Phenomenal. <laughs> but there, he loves a concept. He's a very high concept storyteller. Um, and sometimes I think he gets a little tangled up in that. Um, and he his approach is is almost, and I think you'll get the sense from the very first. Matt Smith episodes almost like fairy tale like whereas I feel like Russell T Davies is giving us like earthy human emotional mythic kind of stories and I don't know why I feel like there's a distinction between mythic and fairy tale but maybe I'll be able to articulate it better when we spend more time there but that character driven stuff I'll, I'll talk a little later about his what I think he the RTD era really succeeds at um, and I don't know how he does it. I've watched these episodes so many times. And I don't know how he does it is to get us to care about brand new characters that we just met and sometimes only spend an hour with mm-hmm. immediately. Like, yeah. how does he do that? I don't know. You know what I mean? And obviously it's not just him writing these episodes, but like, this is a hallmark of this era of who. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I want to talk about is just like, what a phenomenon. Who was at this moment? Mm-hmm. the The farewell tour of Russell T. Davies and David Tennant took two years. <laughs> two years between Journey's End and End of Time. So those specials, you know, there's like mm-hmm. one, one, two, three, four, five. Like those five specials, two years. Right. Um, David Tennant was everywhere. There was there were um, there's this um. I know because you're an Anglophile, like I am, I'm probably telling you something, you know, but like there's this concert series called the proms uh, in the UK, mm-hmm. the Royal Promenade uh, concerts. They did like a Dr. Who Murray Gold is the composer. They just did like one of the proms is just like Dr. Who music, which reminds me of like the Game of Thrones, Ramin Javadi, like concert right. tours that were happening at the height of Thrones. You know what I mean? People would yeah. pay mu- so much money to just sit there and listen to the score and watch clips from this show that they loved. And that's what was that. That's what Doctor Who was at this time. This is the height of the ratings for Doctor Who. Like mm-hmm. Matt Smith era is popular, but it 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 is diminishing returns after 10. Um I'm just so I'm so thrilled that we got to watch this. I want to I want to go now to this idea that we've been revisiting each time this idea of like how this story fits into our understanding of the fantasy and mythology stories that we love that mm-hmm. sort of like world hidden just behind your own world. And I think there are two ways in which that story is told so beautifully in this season, which is 
through Wilf and Donna, right? Wilf has spent his life looking up at the stars, as you just said, right? Looking through the telescope. And then what does he get? Yeah. Yeah, And what does he get at the end of the first episode (sighs) this season is like to see his beloved Donna in the box in the sky. You know what I mean? And then Donna has been searching for the doctor ever since the runaway bride searching high and low. And then there's the delightful comedy of like when they see each other across the office for the first time. Astonishing. Incredible moment. But like this, she's finally found it. She's like the world behind the world that I've been looking for since you last saw me. Right. I finally found it. How do you feel like it's manifesting this season? Well, I think it's an interesting point in the overall era of new who for that particular question, because like this is something that we chat about a lot when we talk about the Infinity Saga and what it would be like to live inside of the Marvel Universe as the spectacular increasingly became routine as like Mm -hmm. you, a person walking around New York would say, yeah, I was there for the Chitauri invasion. Right. And so like in the who universe, there are a lot of different moments across different episodes or different plot points where there's some attempt to explain away and mass what happened, right? How have people been talked out of believing what they saw or forgotten it or in some other way failed to like have to acknowledge and embrace that this is what the universe is really like. This is how big it is. And so I think that's just like a really tricky thing to maintain the more just by the definition of volume, the more times people have seen something remarkable, right? How do you really get us to believe that a number of people could walk around saying, yeah, like that didn't really happen, did it? Or it did, but I have no desire to live my life in any other way. And I think there are plenty of stories where that would have gone wrong. But here it actually like heightened, I think, the potency of what you just described, which is like the people like Wilf or Donna who want to answer the call, right? Who can't wait to answer the call, who like are ready to be transformed to experience some sort of awakening. And I think like one of the reasons I was just so captivated by Wilf is because he's not, this is so rare. I think he's not like trying to run away from anything or escape anything. Like he loves his family. He loves Donna. The thing he wants most in the world is for his granddaughter to be happy. Like we'll, we'll talk more about this later, but the scene in part one of the the, the final two specials in where he yeah. and, and the doctor are sitting in the cafe and he's like begging him to help Donna remember is one of the saddest things I've ever seen because he like can't bear the fact that she doesn't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's more devastating than than never having had it at all, right? Which we obviously I know we'll talk about a lot today. So I I think it's just it, it's almost a, a marvel to be able to give us those moments that like bowl us over and to feel the the magnitude of something transformative like that in a show where not only are, are magical, mythical things happening all the time, a lot of them are happening on earth. A lot of them are happening on the streets of London, et cetera. It's just like really, really, really hard to, to execute well. 
I love that moment in Voyage of the Damned when they like go down to London on Christmas and the doctor's like, we can't do this. The streets are going to be teeming. Yeah. What are you talking nope, about? Everyone's home. And then, and then, and then Wolf, our yeah. like our first introduction of Wolf, and Wolf's like, um, have you been here at Christmas in London? Yeah. We don't go out in the streets anymore. We've seen some things. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, we have since the last time we spoke about Doctor Who, we have read the first Percy Jackson book. Yeah. So like our <laughs> listeners were like, when we were talking about are there American examples of this like world behind our own uh sort of thing or this like, you know, spectacular um story? We have now read a good example, a good American example of that, which is the Percy Jackson uh books. So Yeah. It's been a joy to start our Percy journey <laughs> yeah. as well. The first book was super fun. I'm excited to to keep going. I I was keeping an eye out for for like how this was discussed and explored in in the first yeah. book on on the heels of the uh, deluge of of the emails and notes about this. And I think it's while it's a, a irrefutably true, and this is a story set in America. I did think it was interesting that the presence of the the mystical in America is defined in the text as having moved from somewhere yes. else, right? That yeah. was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you mean the Greek gods are here like in America? Well, certainly the gods move with the heart of the West. The what? Come now, Percy. What you call Western civilization, do you think it's just an abstract concept? No, it's a living force, a collective consciousness that has burned bright for thousands of years. The gods are part of it. You might even say they are the source of it, or at least they are tied so tightly to it that they couldn't possibly fade, not unless all of Western civilization were obliterated. So that idea that, and this is one of our favorite things to talk about, like what are the connections across different versions of a myth? or a story and how do we absorb that into our yeah. own life and our own culture and our own backyard? How do we find it in our own backyard? It's very Neil Gaiman, American gods, that, that yeah. concept. And, um, I hope that you just made like all the Rick Riordan fans, like super happy to hear Molly Rubin cite a passage from Percy Jackson. I had a blast reading this More book. To come. I, I really did. <laughs> More to come. Uh, we got a couple emails on this subject. This, this like, Again, thank you. Thanks, Isaiah. Um, again, this um, uh, listeners trying to explain this very Britishness of this idea. Um, and I like this email we got from Tom, who said, "I wonder if this is something that's rooted in English's English society's deep structures of class and station and a historical lack of social mobility. Whereas the mythologies of America have always seemed to me to be rooted in the fact that anyone can become whatever they want, manifest destiny, etc." This idea, I think, of like class, strict class boundaries is prevalent in Victorian era literature where industrialization was hammering the working classes, but also providing the potential for social mobility is there in Dickens' urban underworld and as a fantastical place in nature where stations can mix in the secret garden and the moors of Wuthering Heights. Even further back, it's present in Shakespeare's As You Like It, where crucially, the characters all return back from the forest at the end of the play and the gender-bending freedom of the middle acts returns to preordained social order of court. Often these hidden worlds offer an escape to a place 
where the rules don't apply and social order is negated before ultimately the protagonist must return to normality, even if that's a higher place within the same system. This social structure is massively present in RTD's first series of Who, especially through Rose, who works in a shop, lives on a council estate. It's also emphasized in Rose when the doctor says, I mean, you lot, all you do is eat chips, go to bed and watch telly. Human beings forced into loops. And on a meta level, it's there too in the choice of the doctor be played by a working class northerner. Um, this is me, Joanna, in, inserting to say something that you might know Mal, might not know Mal, is that previous incarnations of the doctor had all been very posh before we got mm-hmm. Christopher Eccleston's. Mm-hmm. Um, the doctor never travels with the upper class in New Who, notably rejecting Lena Christina D'Souza in the specials. They always choose normals and ordinaries. Donna Noble, super temp. Oi! Watch it, spaceman. Um, I think that... Interesting. Uh, I was reading an interview, uh, I think it was right before Jodie Whittaker took over, where it was between Stephen Moffat and Russell T. Davies, and they were both reflecting back on their respective eras. Mm-hmm. And Moffat was talking about this idea of casting Eccleston, the working class doctor, and um, and avoiding having that sort of like posh... Uh, alien picks up like you know lower class or whatever uh, girl and takes her on an adventure to make him like both rough and tumble and having an adventure and um, I don't know I just think that's really interesting uh, like modern spin on yeah. a story to make it less like a, a, a remote and we're going to talk about this a lot as it as it applies to 10 to make it less like some remote removed superior oftentimes in the earlier seasons uh, much much older than you um alien has descended to take you on an adventure and much more like a mate a boyfriend a like whatever yeah. is here to like uh, enjoy it with, alongside with yeah, you yeah and he's you know? wearing chuck taylor's just like you <laughs> um uh our listener jason also wrote in to say i've just read neil gaiman's neverwhere a book that i love uh joanna and um so this top is this topic is top of mind me i also studied this topic a bit in college this can be traced back to the concept of please forgive my um i think this is gaelic tuatha dadanan which i think is in willow which is the only reason i had a chance of pronouncing it correctly they come from celtic mythology and are essentially fairies that live in the other world the other world being a secret world within our own or under the earth i would imagine these specific concepts originating within the uk are why we see this so often in british media so that reminds me that email reminds me of the secret commonwealth the philip pullman the second novel in the the book of dust that's very of a piece with yeah with that idea interesting Interesting. Well, I loved I loved thinking about this theme. We might we might put it to the side when we get into the Moffat area, just because I do think that we have like really very thoroughly examined it. But I've really appreciated all the listener feedback on on this concept. I want to move over to this idea. This season, I think one of the reasons that this season feels so satisfying is that even more than some of the other seasons where we get like Bad Wolf seated in yep. or the Master and the Drums seated in, et cetera, et cetera, this is such a clear one foot after another path from the beginning of the season to the end yeah. of breadcrumb trail that has been left behind. Mm-hmm. Mirrors, parallels, foreshadowing, recurring themes. Um, the many rose we starting with the many rose teases like you texted me you're like well that's a rose in the first episode and yes. i was like what are your rose theories you know <laughs> like, like imagine uh, <laughs> in a tizzy texting you 
Yeah. Thank God. There's something on your back. We get that kind of early with Donna. Chilling. The, doc- the Dr. Donna we get with the yeah. Ood. Yeah. I think your song must end soon, Doctor. The missing planets that we get referenced throughout the whole season. It's a tough the beat hand- for Clom this season. Yeah. Good one, Clom. <laughs> Poor Clom. Um, <laughs> The hand, the hand in the jar, yeah. plus the cloning concept. The whole Jenny episode is basically setting us up for the second <laughs> Doctor to come out of the hand. The missing bees, oh, boy, uh, yeah. and Donna's death foretold and turned left, and and then eventually, yeah. in, in he will knock four times. All right. of that. Yeah. How does how does the breadcrumb trail sort of oh, carefully man. plotted clues kind of approach to the season work for you? Uh, I I loved it. This was one of my favorite parts. I mean. It, I, it was one of the things I really enjoyed about the the bad wolf of it all back in the day. But you're right. This is at a, a different scale and, and scope entirely that makes even the episodes that are more of like a one-off adventure, everything feels so connected. And like this is one true uh, narrative. And like I liked too that the foreshadowing was everything from these quick passing mentions of things like the Medusa cascade where like you hear something recurring and repeating and you know you should be paying attention. Does that mean something? Why? To something that is in every instance that it's presented to us clearly very core to like a a sacred tenant for the doctor. Sacred no more, than, more yeah. than one respect, I guess. <laughs> like the number of gun mentions throughout this season. This is very much in the foreground. There are mm-hmm. a number of times before we get to the Wilf 10 scene where Wilf is begging him to take this yeah. gun and save himself and save the, the human race, where we are reminded of what the doctor has come to deplore about not only the physical gun itself, but what it represents and not only what it represents about other people, but about himself, about the, 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 the things that he is capable of and the things that he knows others are capable of and the violence that they can inflict that cannot be contained. Right. And so like when you got that moment with Wilf, it was just like, it's the way you feel when you're reading a novel and you finish it and you have that like tingle through your body that the thing you read in the second paragraph on the third page mattered at the end. So like, satisfying. It's yeah. just the best. And yeah, and then you get to look back at like co- dumb concepts like adipose, which is pretty dumb, or the <laughs> giant bee in the Agatha Christie episode. And you're like, it's all connected. Oh my God. You know, like when I saw that little, that little adipose gumdrop with Jack at the end, I, I cackled. <laughs> Also a thrill to see a Slovene there at the end. Talk oh, yeah. That, lines. that like, yeah, that incredible <laughs> bar sequence. They were like, uh, yeah. but we get to have a cantina scene exactly. too. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think the way that Rose is deployed in the season, especially, is so is so powerful. Davies has said it was always his intention to bring Rose back for the end of Ten's run, right? Like, um, you know, if they had gone a couple more seasons, that's when she would have come back. But like, she was always going to come back yeah. for the final season. She was always going to be instrumental. The way that we just see her pop up on a monitor, uh, you know, or Donna gets to interact with him, her, but yes. Ten doesn't, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And and we're just dying for them to interact. Then they do. And we'll talk about all of that. Literally but like, running toward each other. 
and it works somehow. It She's does. got the biggest gun you've ever seen in your life, and it still like <laughs> works somehow. Uh, I'm not um, sure how I'm gonna get through our discussion of their no. latest goodbye. I am not sure I will be able to. Sometimes I just it. watch it on YouTube. I'm Sometimes not I sure just I'm up for it. Go to Bad Wolf Bay and cry. Um, <gasps> all right, let's return to this question we've asked each time, and each time you have a little bit more information, which is this question of like, what do you think makes a good doctor? Starting with the frankly, absolutely basement low levels of horniness this season of Doctor Who. He's just looking for a mate. You want to mate? No, it's looking for a mate. And so on the horny level, <laughs> on people on people being horn yeah. up for the doctor, yeah. this is a low showing. And I love what my favorite running bits of this season is all the time that people like assume that the doctor and Donna are together yeah. and they're always like, no, we're not a we're not, we're a, not a we're couple. not a couple. So that's not wonderful. Um <laughs> how do you feel about the horniness here? But like tremendous you know yeah this is uh you know one of our our superlatives as as everyone who's been on this journey with us will know is a uh, horniest moment so we'll we'll revisit this later and and award our our favorite but there's a, there are a number of contenders as you noted i we chatted a lot in the last pod about i mean we talked a lot about rose and ten and we talked about Martha and Tan and what worked there and what didn't in terms of like the longing. And I really liked the way that this season engaged with the idea of lust and yearning in a way that felt quite separate, actually, from the really like heartrending. I have to confront whether I'm going to be able to spend eternity with the person I love. <laughs> sections which were, were different right yeah yeah and so you get the why do you even have handcuffs oh yeah spoilers <laughs> i i brow wiggle from from river in forest of the dead which i thought was just like iconic i have to assume this is, is considered an iconic doctor who moment in the in the fandom this was like absolutely exceptional i was i was cracking up <laughs> jack proposing a doctor orgy in Journey's End when Sarah Jane says, so there are three of you. I can't even, can't even tell you what I'm thinking right now. <laughs> says three doctors and Jack says, I can't even. And it's like, Jack, you don't need to. We know, buddy. We know. I mean, this don't was worry. wonderful. But, yeah. you know, you, you take a character like Christina in Planet of the Dead. This is somebody who we only have one episode with. And there is clearly this, like, palpable mutual attraction there are like there's a lot of innuendo there are these like moments where they're acknowledging how they're the perfect couple perfect team when she says at the end come on doctor show me the stars i had just assumed she's referring to the uh life-altering orgasm that she thinks she'll mm. experience when they fuck oh yes is this where we talk about Minnie the menace i mean i <laughs> oh many <laughs> talk about a horn dog holy shit so it's a very horny season, but that's so funny. I think it's the least horny season, but I like that you're like, but, let me show you all the little corners where the horn is lurking. It, but you know but, that, I mean? but I, th I agree with you because it's like it's a very horny season, but in a way that feels really like separate and compartmentalized from the emotional arcs. And so like it doesn't it 
doesn't feel quite as like central to the text of the season as the horniness of the prior uh, series did. But I still loved it. And I really enjoyed how many people remarked upon Ten's gorgeous face and spiky hair. And his hair. She's got a real cool kick hair. out of Donna's multiple descriptions of him. <laughs> it's just like a oh, streak yeah. of nothing. Just a streak. <laughs> streak of nothing. Wonderful stuff. Um, oh, yeah. I, I mean, Donna taking the piss out of him constantly That's as great. opposed to like Rose and Martha just looking at him with heart eyes is like yeah. pretty fantastic. Um, I think that, um, and also like when he, I love when he shows up, um, in the like regrettable Suntaran two-parter, but, um, but you know, he shows up all like, oh, is this going to be awkward with Martha? She's still in love with me or whatever. And Donna's like, but she's moved on. She's engaged to someone else. <laughs> so funny. She does not care, but it's fine. Um, <sighs> My theory is that, um, and you got a taste of Torchwood mm-hmm. in the two-parter because Jack shows up and also Yanto and Gwen from Torchwood yeah. get like a little, their own little storyline. Um, Eve Miles currently killing it over on Hijack on Apple TV Plus right now. Um, that is an incredibly horny show. That is Doctor <laughs> Who after dark. And so I think that Russell T. Davies was like venting his horniness over there and it sort of like leached out of this one a little bit more. But still here Minnie is still squeezing butts so there you she go. sure is she sure I is about, <laughs> i want to talk about this concept of the doctor's corruption arc mm-hmm. which is a really interesting way i think to think about ten's whole journey we love a character on an arc usually we love an archetype arcing up uh this is an arc uh, this is a character arcing down mm-hmm. and uh to his end and i think that that is uh also very very interesting um isaiah will you play me this clip please of all the people to survive, he's not the one you would have chosen. But if you could choose, Doctor, if you could decide who lives and who dies, that would make you a monster. Incredible moment from Voyage of the Damned where, like, the worst person in the world survives and Kylie Minogue doesn't. And you're like, the injustice. But there's this, you know, there's that great forewarning of where the doctor is about to go in this season that comes from, you know, a character, a one, a one episode character um, about the doctor on his way towards monstrosity, which is, you know, where he winds up. Um, I want to start back at the beginning. This is a, (laughs) this is a line that I brought up in an earlier episode, even though you hadn't seen it yet, but this line Mm -hmm. from journey's Mm -hmm. end Mm-hmm. when Ten and Rose are saying goodbye and he's talking to her about the new, the blue suited raspberry, uh, you know, sneaker wearing doctor. Um, and he says of him, you were born in battle full of blood and anger and revenge. And then he turns to Rose, remind you of someone that's me when we first met and you made me better. Now you can do the same for him. So this idea of thinking about who the ninth doctor was just having committed genocide, um, when he met Rose and how she forever changed who he was and how in, in like an episode like Dalek, an episode we really like um, from Chris Reckleson's run, you know, she says she's, she's trying to stop him from killing the Dalek. And she says, he's changing. 
She says, right. what are you, what about you, doctor? What the hell are you changing into? Right. So th- the concept that comes up again and again of like the doctor needs someone to stop him. Yes. But like, this is such a crucial time in who the doctor is that Rose is right there. And I'm once again, going to cheat and pull from a line that you haven't seen yet, but it's a Matt Smith line okay. that I love that I think about all the time when talking about his first companion, he says, the first face that this face saw. Mm. I love that idea. The mm. first face that this face saw. Mm. So when we think about David Tennant, the first face that this face saw, Rose Tyler, Billy right. Piper. And I, he's never happier. He's never lighter. He's never better, like quote unquote better than he is in that second season. Just like puppy love season of 10 and Rose. And the dark side of the doctor is still there in that season. He goes mm-hmm. absolutely apeshit ballistic anytime that Rose is in trouble. But right. when he loses her in Doomsday, he loses his part of himself. And he is just sort of kind of tail spinning ever since. And he latches onto people and he latches onto moments. But like, I, I just think that this idea of the doctor, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later on, but I don't think there's a doctor before or since that is as human mm-hmm. as 10 is. And I, I, there's no conclusive like statement, Dr. Who thesis that like, this is true. But like, I love this idea that perhaps he had some hand in crafting who he would become after he was nine into 10. And he crafted himself into a package that might be younger and more attractive for Rose and a personality that might fit her effervescent like curiosity. And this idea of like an ancient God trying to be human Mm -hmm. is so interesting to me when I think about 10. What are your, Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on some of this? Oh, I mean, this was a chilling, a chilling thing to to watch across the yeah. season. Like the moment when Davros screams, you did this. I name you forever. You're the destroyer of worlds. Like the fact that Oppenheimer co-promotion. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's why we moved the pod to this weekend. Yeah. Let's let's go with that. Oppenheimer. Yeah. <laughs> Synergy always here at Thousand Bar. <laughs> This, if we go to the Pompeii episode, like if Pompeii is destroyed, then it's not just history, it's me. I make it happen. And that idea across the season, where right there in the second episode of this season, there's horror and dismay when he has to confront that, the hand that he has directly played in loss not just preservation right and when the one of those things can't happen without the other and then when you think about that as you were watching waters of mars which i i know we'll talk about more so i won't we won't like linger on it here but the lust for power the spinning on its head of that idea. There are so many moments in the season where he's identifying what is a fixed point in time or when is time still moving? When is it fluid? When can it be changed? And the way that he has to confront his own role in Mm. various renderings and when he is wrong and what the cost of that can be. And there's like a hubristic aspect to that fall that is 
inextricable from his loneliness, right? Like the fact that he has Rose and Martha and Jack and Donna and Wilf, like these anchors, the, the need someone to stop you idea, right? Like when he doesn't have that and he has to see what that means and what he is capable of unleashing on the world, it's like absolutely devastating. And so one of the things I really loved about the season and found, because it's very sad to like watch a character who you love and care about in that state. And it's, it's sad to watch characters you care about make mistakes. But I loved that that happened here because yeah. like one of the things you and I always talk about across various stories is that it's just much more interesting to watch a flawed character who's trying and failing and learning and growing. And maybe at the end of the day, after all of that, it's still not enough. And I thought that that was like really, really, really impactful, especially in the context of the, you know, the conversation between Wolf and Ten about how old he is and like what has yeah. happened in that time. But and sometimes it's like humorous across the season. Sometimes it's very, very like deeply, deeply sad and intense. But when he's thinking about just how long he's been around and whether that's too long, like it, we've we've made this comp before elsewhere. But like it did make me think again about the good place and that question of like if you have forever. How do you hold on to something that feels like more tangible and concrete? Like what gives every decision the consequence and the stake? And for 10, it's the people. And so when he feels like he's lost them, when he says, people have traveled with me and I've lost them, lost them all never again, which is what he says to Christina. Christina, yeah. Well, this is what's left after, right? Loses Rose. Martha, thank God, pieces out, lives her own life. Loses the master. Loses Jenny, loses Rose again, loses Donna. Uh, just loss after loss after loss. And, and the doctor, this kind of immortal, I mean, he's not immortal, immortal-ish character. We've seen this kind of storytelling over and over again in like vampire stories or in Highlander to quote Queen who wants to live forever. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like what happens when you live forever and you have to watch those nearest and dearest to you die or leave you again and again and again and again. Let's talk about Donna. <laughs> and this question of what makes a good companion. Um, Donna fucking noble. You already cited uh, the Pompeii episode, one of my favorite episodes. Uh, Isaiah, will you play this clip for me, please? I can never go back. I can't. I just can't. I can't. Please, someone. Please. Not the whole town. Just save someone. We got, I mean, save someone. That, Unbelievable. that plea from her in her second episode as a full-time companion partners in crime is so delightful and effervescent and weird and like yeah. whatever you know what i mean but it's just sort of like up and fun and peppy um and and then you get so for Catherine tate who is a natural born comedian to like do what she does so well in that first episode and then give us this profound depth of emotion yeah. in episode two tears streaming down her face right save someone that's episode one and two. And you're like in for it for the rest of the season with her. It's interesting. We I got we got more emails about Donna than anything else because people love Donna Noble. And I think yeah. especially Donna Noble is the kind of character that I think grows on you as you, I think, 
experience more and more stories. Because I think for a lot of young people, um, Rose and Ten are like it. And I get it. I really, really get it. But what I heard from a lot of our listeners is like as they revisit Doctor Who when they are older, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Donna is like, you know, older than Martha and Rose or whatever, um, or when their taste for the kind of relationship that they want to watch Donna emerges as a favorite companion, I think, for pe- for people who often rewatch these seasons. Uh, you know, there, there are companions to come that are people's favorites. So, like, I'm not saying Donna's the end-all, be-all, but she matters so much to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, or maybe it's just self-selecting to the kind of people who would listen to this podcast really love Donna Noble. But I did get feedback from one person who was, like, who was watching for the first time. And they were like, she's not very nice. Like, I get that her mom is terrible. She's not very nice. And I'm like... No, Donna isn't nice, but she's kind. Like, yeah. and I—that's such an such a sliver of a distinction, but it's it's a true distinction where she's like she's not going to be nice to everyone. She suffers no fools, right? Oh yeah, yeah. she's she's rude in a way that I kind of love, but oh, yeah. <laughs> but she's so compassionate. Yeah, right. Um, you know, you when she's like listening to the Ood song and it's breaking yeah. her open. You know what I mean? And and that that compassion and empathy in her is building on her journey here, right? Like we're seeing a char- another character on an arc. It is very important that all of that is developing and deepening because then when she loses all of that, it's so tragic. But we'll talk about that in a second. But talk to me a bit about your experience with Donna through the season. Um... I loved it. I I cherished it. It was magical. I'm so excited to hear more from you about because I know I know that Donna is this like central figure in your life. And so I'm so eager to to hear everything about like what she and what this season of TV mean to you on that front. I thought that Donna was just exceptional. I mean, the first taste that we get in Runaway Bride is like really fun and the the wit and the barbs. I love the blend, like the the multitudes inside of Donna. I, I think that 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 point that you just made about the the Donna's not nice thing is is really fascinating because I had never thought about it that way. Like I agree with your your framing completely. The compassion and the empathy. It's not only so central for her, but it specifically is the thing that other people around her need. It's the thing that Ten needs, right? He needs, but he also needs that humor from her, which I love too. Like when, again, in the cafe, when Wolf is like, you know, she could make you laugh. We'll talk about that moment more later, but like for one person to be able to bring you everything. And I really enjoyed the number of times that Donna went out of her way to say, like I'm not, I'm not anyone. I'm not special. I'm, I'm a temp. Here are how many words per minute I can type, and like here are the yeah. things I learn just by being a person in the world. That's always one of the most, I think, satisfying and rewarding things is when there's a character who really does allow you to see yourself in that vast, wide world of possibility. Like somebody who was just going about their day, and then something extraordinary happened, and. They went with it. But the other thing I loved, again, is like nothing was simple inside of the season because that would have been enough. And I think that would have been really satisfying. But then we also have entwined with that all of these moments where Donna's inextricable relationship to an impact on 10 and events is not something that anybody can ignore. And so that idea that like 
the most regular person could become the most important is just like conceptually, quintessentially, like archetypically really fun and cool. But Donna's not just a archetype. She is such a singular creation. And that's, I think that's, again, a hard thing to do is to like create a character who connects to all of these tropes or totems or things that feel familiar, right? Those ticks and tendencies that you recognize from other stories, but like each line, each smile, each time that she's making fun of somebody or taking the piss out of the doctor or sitting at the table, rolling her eyes at her mother as she asks her what she's doing with her life. Like you can only see Donna forever now when you think about those moments, it has to be her. And I just like, thought she was sensational the, I, I'm, I'm I, it's interesting I like the way you floated the theory about maybe where you are in your life and I think like as you know I'm uh very attached to Rose and very attached yeah. to Tan and Rose together and and yeah. love them and cherish them and I'm in a, a state once again of rekindled grief after what has happened inside of this season But that was also one of the things I loved about Donna and Donna and Ten together. Like, there's so much meaning from so many different types of relationships. And, like, friendship and that kind of found family that, like, isn't romantic is just Mm -hmm. this, is just as meaningful and, and consequential in somebody's life, right? And so, like... I loved that in a vacuum, but I love that we got the different like versions of companion for 10. I love that they didn't all feel the same. Yeah. And I think, again, I think Martha is like wildly underserved by her storyline in her season. Um, And I would love, I would love for her to have a, a chewier, more complex relationship with the doctor, but like Rose and Donna as these like two different fleet, like very strong flavors is so interesting. Um, there's this tiny moment in the final special two-parter when the master sends one of the, you know, a couple of the photocopies of himself to go like attack Donna and she blasts out with this sort of like psychic wave or whatever. And 10 and 10 says, do you think I would leave my best friend without a defense? And when he says my best friend, I believe him. Oh, yeah. I believe him that Donna Noble is his best friend in the whole wide world. Absolutely. And after 900 years of living. Yeah, Yeah. it matters. Okay, so a couple emails we got. Um, This one comes from Maddie, um, who identifies this moment in in the uh, Pompeii episode as being crucial. Mm -hmm. She says, when the doctor comes to the realization that he will have to cause the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in order to stop the Pyrevilles and ensure that this fixed point in history remains intact. It is a devastating reminder of the burden that he carries as the last of the Time Lords, a burden made all the worst due to his guilt over the actions in the Time War. When he positions his hands on the lever that will cause the eruption, the most improbable thing happens. Donna places her hands over the Doctor's own and they push the lever together by performing this action with the doctor. Donna is showing that she will help him carry the weight of the universe. While I believe that any of Ten's companions would have offered their support to him in this situation. I do believe that it is Donna and only Donna who would perform this act with him. 
In this moment, for the first time since the Time War, the Doctor realizes that while he may be the last of the Time Lords, he does not have to shoulder the weight of their responsibility on his own. He has Donna, and she understands. It is then Donna, as we mentioned, who forces the Doctor to return to Pompeii, save Caecilius and his family. She helps him realize that while maintaining the appropriate flow of time is a heavy burden, it is not an excuse to forego empathy. In fact, by making him return to save Caecilius, Donna demonstrates that it is his willingness to try and save someone rather than his ability to save everyone that makes him the doctor. I just love Ooh, that. Beautiful. We got this um, again. We got tons of love letters to Donna. I'm just going to read one more because this is, comes from our listener, Cassie, but she forwarded what she did. She forwarded this essay from Carmen Maria Machado, who is one of my favorite fiction writers. She wrote Her Body and Other Parties, which is an incredible book that I suggest. It's a horror, short story horror book, but like I really recommend people check that out. Um, but I just love when I find like off, like serious authors who like have written at length about genre properties that I love. Like, you know, when they when like David Foster Wallace is like, let me tell you about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'm like, tell me, David Foster Wallace about Buffy. Anyway, this is Carmen Maria Machado on Donna. An excerpt from the essay. She says, Catherine Tate plays Donna hard and fast along the boundary of hilarity and tenderness. Donna is the first companion in the Doctor Who reboot who isn't incredibly young, doesn't fall madly in love with him. And she isn't at first particularly kind or good or curious or thoughtful or self-actualized. She's rude and afraid. More than anything, she's afraid. But as she and the doctor travel time and space together, it turns out Donna has been seeking the part of herself that connects to other people. Season four of Doctor Who is transcendent, a near flawless arc of character development, wherein Donna faces down her choices and realizes she's been looking for reasons to care. Mm -hmm. He takes her to a planet where the Ood, a telepathic Cthulhu-faced society who carry their brains in their hands, have been enslaved and turned into sentient apple products by the human race. The doctor gives her the ability to hear their mournful song and horrified and overwhelmed by her own sadness, she begs him to take it away. She follows him to an interstellar library with carnivorous shadows where she becomes trapped in a computer and lives out a perverse and surreal version of her once fantasy life until she is rescued. She misses the events of an entire episode, Midnight, because she's at an alien spa and doesn't want to leave. She continues to be rude, blunt, forceful, honest. They are good skills, necessary. She also becomes less guarded, less afraid. She learns that a good life is not about achieving random milestones. It's about realizing that you are a center puzzle piece among many, that your life and your mind have value, that it's never too late to do good or shape your own destiny. It's also about occasionally eschewing FOMO and Sapphire Waterfalls for alien massages, the greatest lesson of all. <laughs> um, love, love this. The whole essay is is uh, fantastic. Um, and I think that that idea that like rudeness, bluntness, like that these are good things they're often considered bad things especially in women but like that sure, these are yeah. kind of good qualities in in donna um which means we now have to talk about i want to talk about the like absolute fucking atrocity of her ending here um so it doesn't sort of so i can clear the decks to talk about other things later because yeah. it's wrapped up in a lot of other things that are happening and i just want to iso it here um this is the worst thing <laughs> that anyone has ever done to a character is is how I believe. Um, I cannot, I physically cannot play the clip where she's begging for her life 
uh, to hold on to her life because I will die. So this is a gentler version of this that comes when she's talking to Martha earlier in the season. Isaiah, will you please play this? Are you sure about this? Yeah, positive. I can't do this anymore. You'll be the same one day. <laughs> Not me. I ever go back to normal life after seeing all this? I'm gonna travel with that man forever. <sighs> I'm gonna travel with that man forever, is what she says. Um, one Ooh. last email that I'm gonna read here, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna hand the mic over to you. Maddie wrote in. <laughs> Thank you, Isaiah. Maddie wrote in to say. There's a moment in the episode Planet of the Ood that I think sums up the cost of this moment of the end of Donna's uh, story here. When referring to the process of removing part of an Ood's brain, the doctor says to Donna, the Ood are born with a secondary brain, like the amygdala in humans. It processes memory and emotions. You get rid of that, you wouldn't be Donna anymore. You'd be like an Ood, a processed Ood. The, the, it's so interesting because I can get so... I, Joanna Robinson, can get so reactively angry to storytelling choices that it, like, ruins my ability to understand a story, uh, to to absorb other parts of the story. Yeah. That is not how I feel about this season of Doctor Who. I think it is one of the most special things ever. I think the ends for so many of these characters are so interesting. I do think that what happens to Donna is incredibly cruel, worse than death, I would say. I've been angry about it for a really long time. And it is why I'm so I come to you with like my anger on a very low simmer, though, because I know that Russell T. Davies has heard from years from people that they are so upset about what happened to Donna. And I know that that has informed his desire to bring her back for the special and do something more with the end of her story rather than strip this character development away from her and leave her chattering on the phone um, as as we see her. Um Tell me how you felt about Donna's ending. Oh, I mean, it's it's beyond tragic. I think the word cruel is is right. You know, I, I was thinking of a moment from the first season that we talked about on our first pod when Rose is sitting at the cafe with Mickey and Jackie and thinks that she is just back in her old life and says but it was better it was a better life the doctor showed me a better way of living your life he showed you too that you don't just give up and as we talked about at the time hearing that from rose i i was like shattered because i think it taps into something just deeply true at the heart of the story and at the heart of stories in general and why we gravitate toward stories like this that at some level are ultimately about one thing, right? Which is possibility. Possibility in the form of adventure, a quest, connection, love, discovery. And for that specific thing to be taken away from you, like what happens to Donna is it's that rose conversation exponential at a scale that you can't even measure anymore, right? And, you know, you didn't want to 
play the clip and I won't I won't read the quote in full, but like I want to stay. I was going to be with you forever. To be deprived of that would be devastating. But to not even know that you had had it, like to lose that completely, it just like isn't fair. It just isn't fair. It's, it's, yeah, it's terrible. It's something that, it's a question that like Russell T. Davies has been asked genuinely forever, over and over and over again. And I think, I don't think he fully understands, understood exactly what he was doing when he did this. I thought, I think he was like, I have cooked up an incredibly juicy and cool, tragic story. And look at the impact this is going to have on the doctor. All of that is true. And it is really well done. Oh and God, like yeah. the doctor without Donna in free fall until his death is tremendous storytelling that I wouldn't trade necessarily. But yeah. um, I, I, I think he knows that he, I think he would do it differently were he to do it now. And that's why we're getting more Donna. Um, I do. I do want to shout out uh, again. I think something that Davies is really good at is, there is never one dimension to a character. So Sylvia Noble, Donna's mom, who we like do not like because she is horrible Gr- to Granny Donna. Granny Smith fan, just like you. Big <laughs> no, I think those are table. Wilf's. Are they? Those are Wilf's apples. <laughs> I do believe Wilf enjoys a Granny Smith apple. Um, but she gets like, we care for her by the end. And she gets this tremendous moment when the doctor says, I just want you to know that there are worlds out there safe in the sky because of her. There are people living in the light, singing songs of Donna Noble a thousand million light years away. They will never forget her while she can never remember. And for one moment, one shining moment, she was the most important woman in the whole wide universe. And Sylvia says she still is. She's my daughter. And then he says that maybe you should tell her that once in a while. Fair enough. Okay. But like Sylvia being protective of Donna or like in the whole sequence and like it's just Sylvia and Wilf like alone on earth like against the Daleks or whatever. I'm like, I care about Sylvia. I yeah. do. Like, you know, it it this is a genius of this of this show. Anything else you want to say? I'm sorry, I'm tearing up. Anything else you want to say about um what happens to Donna here? It just absolutely heart-wrenching to watch. I uh don't want Donna's time lord absorption memories in the 60th anniversary specials to return in full in a way that harms her but i do hope that they have figured out a storytelling mechanism by which she can remember all of the adventures that they shared and i mean have that whole part of herself restored this is a thing with doctor who there's a solution for everything until there's not you know what i mean like there can be again somehow you know exactly (laughs) like the sonic screwdriver can open anything in the world except for that one glass door that wolf's wolf's behind do you know what i mean like until until it can't it can do anything so you know wibbly wobbly (sighs) Uh, we're gonna talk about wolf a lot more when we get into our like episode specific stuff we've already mentioned how much we love him he's incredible for me the character rankings in doctor who go number one donna noble number two wilford mott number three david Tennant doctor like it's a one two three for me um but it's close with wilf and donna um for sure um Which brings us to River Song while we're talking about companions in the season. This is an introduction of an iconic Stephen Moffat creation who will live on into his era of Doctor Who. This is the trick of her her moving one way through time and the Doctor moving another way through time. 
Um, Isaiah, will you play me this clip, please? You can let me do this! If you die here, it'll mean I've never met you. Time can be rewritten. Not those times. Not one line. Don't you dare. It's okay. It's okay. It's not over for you. You'll see me again. You've got all of that to come. You and me. Time and space. You watch us run. Alex Kingston, the great Alex Kingston, uh, you know, originator of the spoiler sweetie uh, meme. Uh, <laughs> uh, I genuinely think she's this character is partly responsible for like the proliferation of the use of spoilers, uh, uh, spoiler warning, <laughs> spoiler culture. Um, Don't tell Van. <laughs> his new mortal enemy, River Song. Um how do you feel about your introduction to River Song here? I loved it. These were two of my favorite episodes of the season. The library Great arc episode. was sensational. Great blend of the concept, the sci-fi concept. I, t- I texted you when I finished it, like that it was one of my favorite examinations of time travel inside of Doctor Who to date. Like really intriguing. You're kind of trying to crack the mystery of, of all of the different elements as you watch, but also you understand intuitively pretty quickly what has happened that a future version of the doctor. So 10 doesn't have this information yet has that his future is her past. Mm -hmm. And I I thought that this was really rich in a few different ways. Like wouldn't be a pod if I didn't say the words choice versus destiny at some point, (laughs) but like (laughs) this was a great season for that in general, because there are a number of moments where the idea of like a paradox that's something that you were the one who did it or that's something there there's a causal loop that's already in play uh, but all uh, or that or that a, there's a fixed moment in time you try to change something and then it the outcome happens anyway maybe even in a more horrific way than you realized but then there are just as many moments where turn left great example right where one character does one thing differently and the course of history is altered completely Mm -hmm. and so to hear to see the doctor to see 10 say like river you know my name you whispered my name in my ear there's only one reason i would ever tell anyone my name for him to have not yet lived those things but to understand what it means there's this really fascinating element to that for me where i'm like okay i haven't watched their relationship yet i'm looking forward to doing so i will always have in my mind now Like, how much of this is happening because it's the authentic, organic, whatever this is, I I don't know yet, authentic, organic bond that would have unfolded between them no matter what, and how much of it is because he knows that it happened. Right. That's just, I I love thinking about stuff like that. Yeah. But so for her to say to him, and then you just played it in the clip, like, not those times, not one line, don't you dare, feels sacred that there have to be moments like that inside of a world where things can where people can meddle and time and space are these big wide amorphous concepts that something has to be concrete and somebody has to say keep it so like i i I love that and then there's like the eyebrow wiggle and the flirtation and the the innuendo and and the smarts and the savviness. Like I thought the the part where she's saying to him, like, 
describing their last day together and his the way that he cried and then he's piecing together the puzzle of why he would have given the screwdriver it was just that great kind of like vintage blend of a really elevated and intriguing sci-fi concept that ultimately will linger with us because of the the, the heart at the core of it. I, I really liked these episodes. And, and they also, we have a very emotional stretch. I know this is the river, the the, the river uh, uh, chunk here, but because we're talking about those episodes, everything with Donna and Lee, I also found fucking shattering. I will just say that like when Devastating. he comes in, he is there, he is real at the end. His and stutter. Can't say her, it can't, she, yeah, I can't say her name and she doesn't hear or see him in time. Like, fuck, Jesus. <gasps> very tragic. <laughs> Very upsetting, very poignant. I <sighs> think um, also, again, Donna's kindness comes through uh, in this episode um, where she is kind while other people are snarky and dismissive of, of to to the most vulnerable. That's who she will be kind to. And um, and also iconic Donna Noble has left the library. Donna Noble has been saved is, I mean, we're not spoiler. We're not going to talk about this, the, the library episodes in our like episode drill down. So I just wanted to talk about yeah. that line there. I think I, sometimes I just say it to myself and I, Donna Noble has left the library. Donna Noble <laughs> has been saved. Sometimes so I just good. say it to myself and just like the reveal of the child and the Dr. Moon yeah. and all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I should say that Moffat in that Moffat Davies interview that I read, Moffat had said that and he never, he never wound up writing this, though it may still be yet to come in the lore because the doctor is still ongoing and will forever as long as IP is alive, probably. But his idea. So, again, this is just the idea of one man who is no longer writing the show <laughs> is that the Dr. Moon is somehow also the doctor. And so, like, River is actually with the final version of the doctor who is the doctor moon or something like that. I was like, okay, okay, Stephen Moffat. Let me tell you something. River song, always a treat. The story of River song. This is a, this is a, this is just the perfect example of Stephen Moffat. This concept right here. She's moving one way in time. He's moving another brilliant. Yeah. Having to then live with the consequences of setting that premise up for the rest of your run. Imagine. Yeah complicated so we will get to that <laughs> I've been but warned. like it's just like it's a little dicey uh, um let's just zip through some other minor companions before we we roll forward we la- get last thing very oh, quickly yeah, that just occurred course. to me actually that on the donna front and one of the things that makes her so special and this connects to the fact that she's not in love with the doctor she's not jealous when other yeah. companions come into the into the fray and I really really liked that like not only is she not threatened by what's happening with River or by what she's learning about and piecing together about Rose she's the one who's like telling herself like she's she can't wait to see him back with people who she's us she's like best friend she ships the doctor and rose like we do (laughs) you know what I mean and yeah and he's like he's all worried you know he's like remembering how it was when Rose and Sarah Jane first met each other. And he's like, oh, oh here it comes. Dawn is going to meet Martha. And yeah. she's like, she's like, what's up? <laughs> Love you. Isn't yeah. he ridiculous? <laughs> what the fuck? I you really know? liked that part. Of yeah. That. yeah. 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 Me too. And but meanwhile, like Rose, when she shows up, is frustrated and jealous that like she can't connect understandably, but like is yeah, specifically I mean, like jealous Sylvia of Martha. And Wolf, yeah. we got to get the IT set up <laughs> looked at. 
Do you have a webcam? She says, she says, she says it's naughty. naughty. <laughs> it's naughty. I got it. I should well, have picked that as my funniest <laughs> moment of the season. That absolutely killed me. Um, uh. All right. Other minor companions. Um, we got to mention Astrid. Kylie Minogue is here. Uh, the, a big, a huge, like, stud casting moment um, for the show. It was really fun. Uh, Jenny. Uh-huh. Played <laughs> plays uh-huh. the doctor's daughter. Yeah, yeah. Played by Georgia Moffat. Uh-huh. Uh huh. No relation to Stephen, but yes, related to Peter Moffat, who was one of the actors who played Doctor Who. She's the daughter of an actor who played Doctor Who, <laughs> and then she married David Tennant <laughs> after playing his daughter. It's normal. It's totally normal fine. and fine. <laughs> and they have conservatively one million children together, including. Our guy, Ty Tennant, Ty Tennant of of uh, House of the Dragon fame. So oh, uh, they seem like go. a genuinely beautiful family. Yeah, delight, like genuinely delightful. Um, Lady Christina, you already mentioned Michelle Ryan at the peak of her like absolute hotness, just incredible, incredible stuff. Um, anything? I this was the one moment where I felt, even though everything tracked for me thematically, cheated. But I can't believe we can't get one sex scene. <laughs> We can't get like a blowjob oh, behind yes. a sand dune. I was just no. saying you text you texted me that. I'm like, what are they gonna do? Go behind a sand and dune? And I said to you, she's like, already complaining about how she has the sand in her hair. Why not? Why not get it everywhere? <laughs> okay. Um I do love a lady thief. Um, you know, it's why the introduction of Haley Atwell and Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is so fun. I, I do love that. Um <laughs> Martha, more actively involved in Torchwood, spin on the spinoff front. Yeah, Jenny is clearly set up to possibly have a spinoff. She doesn't get one, but like this is clearly Russell T Davies in his Buffy fandom era, being like, "What if we have a partial Time Lord who is Rose, essentially, or who is Buffy?" You know, um, yeah. that was I will say that was like one open loop that I was surprised didn't yeah. come back into play this season. Seems like it would matter that. I am. She's out there. I feel like I am a huge Doctor Who fan, but there are Doctor Who fans who would laugh at my fandom and say it is merely a speck in the wind because I'm here to tell you that there's like a whole vibrant world of Doctor Who radio dramas that I don't listen to produced by the Big Finish. And there are Jenny adventures on the on the Big Finish stuff. And she's like she will voice them like the actors will voice them like Christopher Eccleston has done radio adventures of the Doctor, even as he hated his time, you know, like. Catherine Tate and David Tennant, like, you know, there, there's a bunch of radio stuff, but like, um, Martha, they wanted Martha to be more active in the Torchwood. She shows up in Torchwood. They wanted her to like sort of more actively in that. It didn't like wind up working out, but like Martha is clearly a sort of like set up to go be involved in all of that. Um, and then there was at one point an idea to do a Rose centric spinoff, Rose Tyler mm-hmm. colon Earth Defense. A 90-minute special that could possibly come in an annual event was canceled by Davies at a late stage of development. And he said, it's a spinoff too far, okay. um, which I just kind yeah. of love. Um, but yeah, the, the, you can sort of see these these seeds being planted because they had Torchwood. They had the Sarah Jane uh, adventures. Yeah. Those are two spinoffs that are working. And what Davies has said in coming back to Who is he is interested in like, creating a whole network of who shows yeah, because they've done this big deal with Disney going forward with Dr. Who. So they've got an influx of Disney cash and Davies compared it to like what's happening with Star Trek uh, mm-hmm. over there where there's just like 
five different Star Trek shows running right now. He wants like something comparable for who. So interesting. How do you feel about that? Is that do you do you want that? Does it scare you to think of the universe expanding too far and diluting the quality or? Is it a thrill I think for you? He's to not trying to run them. Well, like, first of all, Doctor Who seasons are so short that I think yeah. you could do like three different shows, one season of three different shows a year, sort of comparable to like one mm-hmm. big 22 right. ex- uh, episode mm-hmm. season. Um, so I wouldn't be that scared about that. Uh, if he feels like he needs to run all of them, that's mm-hmm. when I would worry about his like focus being too split. But that sounds like borrowing worry. I'm just, I'm excited. So excited for the specials. I'm so excited for our new doctor and his new companion. Like, and then we'll see what happens from there. You know what I mean? Brand, but if you would- I love a spinoff. More pod fodder. Let's go. <laughs> Full time who potting. Um, you've already told me before we go into our sort of like episode many deep dives, you sort of told me how you feel about letting go of 10. Anything else you want to say? Pre pre I'm despondent. I honestly okay. am like I'm in that and and but it's the best kind of feeling. Like I love when you finish a book or finish a show or finish a movie and you are broken because you're not with those people anymore. So like who is such an interesting proposition in that respect because the journey will continue and it goes ever on. Yeah. yeah, exactly. This song, this song is over, but I'm excited for the next song and also like there is the part of me if I'm being honest about it that just wants to keep listening to to this song the one I just finished yeah. on repeat forever yeah. like I'm not ready to go to the the next one on the playlist quite yet and I'm sure when I do I will love it I just thought that I love David Tennant I thought he was extraordinary like it is it's such a fascinating thing the idea of multiple people and embodying this character and inhabiting that mantle is like central. It is the text. Uh, and so I don't want to sound like I don't understand Doctor Who when I say this. Like it is impossible for me currently to think of anybody else as the doctor. It's just he feels it's like an indelible performance. I, I loved it. I thought he was so wonderful. And I will rewatch his seasons for and maybe all of who I hope all of who but definitively his seasons like for the rest of my life. And so I'm sad right now that I've reached this point but you know I don't it's like it's like old Nan told Bran like the stories wait you know so I can't wait to like revisit this again it's always going to be there for me and so while I'm sad that's just a, a beautiful thing and like you gave me this wonderful gift what an unbelievable thrill it is to share this with you it's just really meaningful when this when this was on I mean it's still streaming I can watch it anytime but like there was something when it was Doctor Who was on Netflix for a while it's been all over and then it was on Amazon you know many custodies of of Doctor Who on streaming but like <laughs> when it was on Netflix mm. I used to just comfort background watch season four mm. all the time. Do you always go in order or do you like dip in and out of, of episodes? No, I mean I used to like just rewatch season four. No, but I you you've seen my. Um, yeah, yeah, outline yeah. of what is essential and not I skip those like rewatching the Centauran episodes <laughs> like Poison Sky etc like is valuable in talking about the season as a whole but like I don't rewatch those episodes I don't think they're great you know what I mean and that's okay because like you can just watch the bangers in season four and you get the full yeah. arc you know I sk- I don't watch the doctor's daughter I don't really rewatch that one um, though is lovely to see 
baby Joe Dempsey in that <laughs> in that episode. Great to be um, with Henry. Yeah. <laughs> but the run, the end run mm-hmm. of the library two parter, midnight turn left, you know, and then the and then the finale two parter like that. I will put that those those episodes up against any other television ever honestly which brings us to yeah our first little mini deep dive season four episode eight my favorite episode of doctor who of all time midnight (laughs) directed by alice troughton written by russell t davies this is Remember that discussion we had about bottle episodes when we were talking about The Last of Us uh-huh. and how that episode wasn't really a bottle episode? <laughs> this is a classic bottle episode of television. And in fact, Midnight and Turn Left, the next episode, which has barely any, any tenant in it, they're filmed yeah. at the same time. It's a budgetary thing, right? So you can like save up all your budget for all the guest stars that you're bringing in for your finale two-parter and... Do these two low-budge episodes, film at the same time, shove everyone into a tin can uh, in this episode, don't even show us the monster, and yeah. let the psychological yeah. horror unfurl. If you haven't rewatched Midnight in a while, this is the story of the Doctor taking a lovely tram tour ride across a planet called Midnight. The tram breaks down because they're on a different path than they usually take, and then some eldritch horror from out of the uh, brightness of this gleaming planet comes inside the tram, takes over the body of one of the passengers. (laughs) And then it's just paranoia, mob mentality, savagery breaking down the real monster are the humans in this, uh, in this episode. Right. Um, Our cast of characters are sky Silvestri. Talk about her in a second. The Canes, a couple, their son, the hostess who doesn't get a name, Professor Hobbs and Dee Dee. And that's it. You know, Donna on the bookends. Um, I am obsessed with this episode. Yeah. I watch it all the time. I think it is some of the most exquisite storytelling that has ever happened. I think it's so spooky. I think about it all the time. Leslie Sharp, who plays Guy Sylvester, I think is like one of the mm-hmm. most incredible and terrifying human beings that has ever done anything. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, Tell me so how, this you, is your how you favorite. Feel. This is your favorite episode of it. Doctor Who, Joanna. This is it. Yeah. Amazing. So this was, I knew this was your favorite heading into yeah. it. I didn't know why. And th- it was fascinating because as soon as I realized that Donna was staying at the spa and wasn't going, I was like, I'm surprised that yeah. this is Joe's favorite because Donna's not there and Tan and Donna aren't together. I must have a treat in store if that is like not a detriment right. to, to everything that is ahead. Um, I, I thought this was a very scary episode, but not, not too scary. I thought the, the horror was incredibly effective. The fact that we don't see this spectral doom. I loved it. Reminded me a little bit of not hearing the torture sound it, that Bix hears in Andor mm, and it's yeah. so yeah. much more yeah. terrifying for us than it would be if we actually were in that headset with her because like 
your mind fills in things that the screen maybe couldn't match. And I think that actually kind of amplified in a, a, a meta way what the episode is saying, because it's like, maybe it is like a, a budgetary reason like that we don't see it. But regardless, there's a, a kind of like wink to the audience there, an acknowledgement that the what we can do with our minds will have this impact that nothing else can match. And then that connects to what you said already, right? Like the, the the humans or the monsters, like nothing is scarier ultimately than what people are capable of doing to each other. And so to watch the descent within that car and like the, the rapidity of it, the speed with which everybody is willing to throw somebody out into the death. deathscape that awaits yeah. was like absolutely fucking harrowing. And then everything that happens with Tennant, with the doctor, the fact that Donna, while I of course missed her, wasn't with him, it sets up so nicely like yeah. what you get in the absence of a companion later in this stretch. It's like what happens to him when he's alone? What happens it's, to him when yeah. he doesn't have that that it's so perfect there. for that. It sets up yeah. two really key things. What happens when the doctor's alone, yeah. right? This does not happen if Donna is there. No. Like, this absolutely no does way. not happen. Yeah. Um, and his hubris. Yes. Because I think um, the I'm clever moment is one of my one of my favorites. Uh, Isaiah, will you play this clip, please? You called us humans like you're not one of us. Dude, that's what he said. And the wiring. He went into that panel and opened up the wiring. That was after. But how did you know what to do? Because I'm clever. I see. Well, that makes things clear. And what are we then? Idiots. That's not what I meant. If you're clever, then what are we? You've been looking down on us from the moment we walked in. Even if he goes, he's practically volunteered. I... I love this moment because it turns on its head the thing that the doctor has, we've seen the doctor do time and time and time and time again, which is show up and there's a crew of some ship somewhere or something, you know, and he's just like, you know, it's, it, we saw it in the Titanic episode, the first clip we played here. He's like, why should you be in charge? And he's like, because I'm a time lord, I'm ancient, blah, 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 you know, I'm going to save you all. He, he saves nearly none of them, by the way, on the Titanic. But, um, he says that all the time. I'm going to save you. You'll be safe. You'll be fine. And people yeah, die. I promise. I promise. Um, but it, you know, it turned like that doesn't work here. And in fact, it is what hangs him. You know, essentially, he, he would have like we're not for one placed, well placed converse like hooking onto uh, a seat. Like he's going out the door, right? And and the fact that what the monster does to him, or what the creature does to him, if you prefer, is steal his voice his like most influential tool. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, yep. it's the, it's the hubris. Um, and also the, the, the answer to his hubris is this like anti-intellectualism that is sort of like comes from this group. There's a professor there, but there's also that like the, the husband and wife are this real, like, you know, she says, she says the quiet part out loud where she's like, like an immigrant. And you're like, okay, okay. Right. Not quite Brexit yet, but we get it. We get what's going on here. But like, I just, I think, I I so admire the storytelling, the simplicity of it, that without any yeah. bells and whistles, they are able to deliver this just like yeah. chamber piece, essentially. There has been a stage play version of this, Doctor Who's Midnight, like that is performed and you could see how easily it could be uh, performed. But yeah, I just. Yeah. And then and then like to highlight the absence of Donna is the comfort 
of Donna at the oh, end when she like embraces oh. him, you know? Beautiful. Beautiful. So. I loved it. Yeah, it's so contained. It's so restrained and tight. Um, in that clever clip, like the other thing it makes me think of is we get the beauty later in the specials of the moment of, of Wolf saying we must look like insects to you and Tan saying I think you look like giants and that's yeah. also something that we consider very central and core to who he is and how he thinks about humanity what I loved about the other side of that in Midnight is the reminder that he has to choose that every time like he has to choose to believe that people have value and worth and on the one hand it's a distinction between him and somebody like Lord President or the Master but he sees in them what he could become if he didn't have that empathy and that compassion that Donna helps to reinforce and bring out in him, right? And didn't value other worlds and other ways of life and didn't think that every single person could make a difference the way that he could. Like he has to hold on to that certainty in what human beings are capable of because otherwise he's just another one of the people he's trying to stop. So to get the moments where you really actually do see what it could look like if he made different choices and lived his life a different way, like very, very impactful. Spoiler alert, we are going to talk about <clears throat> the waters of Mars yes. uh, in a second. Yes. Yeah. But there is a line in there in his final like confrontation when he mentions like the little, I've saved little people. And she's like, little people right. you know what i mean like that's that's the that's the push and pull that's the god and the human at, yep. uh you know at war with each other um before we roll on um do you what it, if you were to pick one favorite episode of the of the episodes you've seen what would you pick from any season or from season four yeah, from any season you can think about that i just put you on the i don't know it's it's i probably have i feel like i have like a handful in the consideration set i mean i i really 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 loved human nature family of blood blink that run in season yeah. three i absolutely loved i loved the girl in the fireplace i loved midnight i i, I mean i loved journey's end i loved the end of time part two let's talk it's about journey's to end. Pick. yeah it's yeah. hard to pick I, I sprung that in. You think about it. We'll talk about it next time in <laughs> August or September, whatever we get to. Okay. So season four, 12 and 13, Stolen Planet Journey's End, directed by Graham Harper, written by Russell T. Davies is our next stop. Um, if we're saving budget on Midnight and Turn Left, we are blowing it on bringing the entire <laughs> group, here. the, the children of yeah. time are all here. Jack Harkness, mm -hmm. plus Gwen and Yanto from uh, Torchwood, Jackie Tyler, Mickey Smith, Sarah Jane Smith, Martha Jones, Rose Tyler, Donna Noble. I sent you th that group shot, which was like, there's so this group funny. shot of them. If you uh, like, if you just Google like, you know, um, Journey's End group shot or whatever. Uh, it was like the background on my laptop forever because it's like an iconic, I think, laptop background. Um, but I sent, I texted to Mallory. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the next generation these were the Avengers. Like, <laughs> did you expect that? I so mean, I know good. I... I don't know how you were reading the spreadsheet that I sent you, like how much you were spoiling yourself and like whatever. And I just wrote like, e who's in this? Everyone. everyone um, yeah. Did you did you know that like everyone was going to be in this episode? So obviously the whole season is building toward Rose returning in yeah. a meaningful way. So I was certainly prepared for that. We had gotten time with Martha earlier, so it felt very plausible that she could be back in the fray. Um I always at this point now the one thing 
literally one thing. Okay, two things I expect out of every season of Who. I'll see a Dalek at some point, and I will see Jack at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Those are like the constants of the Who experience. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily know I would be back with. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm holding up my credentials here, so you could see p- former Prime Minister. <laughs> Harry Jones, Prime Minister. <laughs> so funny. Having a Zoom, just like us, Joe, having a Zoom. Um, but like it felt it felt right. You know, it didn't feel forced. It felt cool to see the whole gang together. I liked that there was room for all of the specific individual dynamics. Everybody had like something to do to varying degrees. Jackie but, and like, Mickey and Sarah Jane, eh. not so much, but yeah. <laughs> not so much, yeah. <laughs> um Ultimately, it sets up, I thought, like, not to skip ahead to a different episode entirely, but it sets up, you know, when he's saying goodbye, when he's receiving the TARDIS. Well, to see the TARDIS full. Yeah. And this is how it's meant to be flown. Yes. Full of people and then empty again. Yeah. His reward. Let's play this. Speaking of the children of the time, let's play this uh, clip from good old Davros, uh, who shows up here. Isaiah, will you play this? The man who abhors violence, never carrying a gun. But this is the truth, Doctor. You take ordinary people and you fashion them into weapons. Behold, your children of time transformed into murderers. I made the dialects, Doctor. You made this. I mean brutal welcome to the chat emperor palpatine um davros <laughs> who you get from context clues is a is an older character that they mm-hmm. have like brought back for this but i think like the reintroduction of sarah jane in season two i don't you don't need a lot of context like you get all the context you yeah. need sarah jane is scared of him he created the daleks that's all you really need to know davros is here um i love this concept as you mentioned, we get this idea over and over and over again this season that Doctor won't pick up a gun. He won't pick up a gun. He won't pick up the gun. And Davros is like, these are your weapons. Right. You dum-dum. Osterhagen key? Are you kidding me? Like, Ooh, these are your yeah. lethal, mm-hmm. lethal weapons that you have sent out into the world. We see we see Jack. We see Rose with and Mickey and Jackie with enormous, crazy guns. The craziest Huge. guns you've ever seen. Um, you know, so does yeah. it even matter if the doctor will pick up a gun if his if his disciples are are willing to? Um, right. right. What do you think about this complication of the doctor's legacy? I, I love this. It's like the nuance and the richness. I think it's ultimately more satisfying and compelling than if he turns everybody he touches into a saint and he's one too. Like if everybody behaved exactly the way that he thought they should, or if he has a moment where he has to confront whether he even understands the impact fully that he's having on other people and like what it means to have access, not only to that kind of like awakening and awareness, but that like connection to power and to shaping. Like I, it was interesting to see all of the scenes with, you know, we've gotten our, our taste with Torchwood to get these like unit scenes and these people who are operating in the shadows, including a willingness in the Planet of Death episode to say, oh, and this isn't one of the Children of Time, but in the unit group, like, and shout out Malcolm. I don't want to end the pod without saying shout out Malcolm. I love that guy. I got such a kick out of him and his phone calls with the doctor. I love you too. Guilty. <laughs> um, 
a willingness to say like, yeah, well, we even have to sacrifice the doctor to to protect. Like when the protection becomes your mission or the preservation of something becomes your mission, this question throughout every episode and every season of like, well, how are you how are you preserving peace if you're not waging war? It actually made me think of my gal, the Duchess Satine. One of the moments I love in Clone Wars is like when she refers to Obi-Wan Kenobi as like this contradiction. And the this this amusing contradiction that she points out about like the Jedi referring to themselves as peacekeepers when they're out there and everyone's calling them general and they're waging war. Like I th- I just think that's a really kind of fascinating um thing for the characters to have to confront. And I, I love that with Ten inside of the context of the season where he's like, I won't put my hand on that thing. Like I won't. I I I never, right? Never, he says. And then he takes it. We got a second doctor in the blue suit. Looking great. Dr. Donna hybrid. Great stuff. Metacrisis doctor. One heart, Joe. Means he's mortal. It's the gift he that he gives to Rose. So let us talk. We already talked about Donna. We have we have put that to bed. Let's talk about Rose's happy ending question mark. Something that I love about this episode, mm-hmm. it's called Journey's End. There's a very famous Shakespeare quote from Twelfth Night, Journey's End mm-hmm. in Lover's Meeting. Um, and um, I'm sorry, but I'm going to get so emotional. The the scene on about back on the beach at Battle of Bay with Donna, the doctor, the metacrisis doctor, Rose, Jackie, et cetera. Um, Jackie being like, no, we didn't name our baby after you. What are you, a fucking idiot? Great stuff. It's Tony. <laughs> Iconic. What's <laughs> so funny. What's wrong with you? <laughs> um, the way that Rose, you know, uh, Donna points out in turn left that that Rose has been wearing the same outfit the entire season. It's blue and raspberry. It's color-coded to match the Metacrisis Doctor. She's been color-coded all season to match him. Um... This idea, this is a very controversial ending. Some people love, they're like, great, perfect solution. She gets her own doctor. He will age with her. Like, great, beautiful solution. Some people are like, I'm sorry, she gets the fucking Xerox copy doctor? Is that really, is that cool? Is that just? So I am curious how you feel about it. But I will say on a a non-sci-fi level, Mm -hmm. to have this young woman, like, to have her ask her doctor, brown suit pinstripes say it say you love me say oh, it God. why can't you say the thing Fucking that you almost me. said last time you were here and he gives her the old doesn't does really need, need, saying? need saying fuck you dude you know yes, what i mean good old good old <laughs> meta crisis doctor's like oh i'll say it yeah, i'll, I'll, whisper, I'll it. whisper it into your ear yeah. i will say it you know and i have i they're there's, there's no mystery. This isn't like lost in translation. You know what he says? I love you to her. Like, that's what he says. Right. And then she lays lays a big old smooch on him. And then she and then the doctor leaves and she's upset, understandably. But like to me, I'm like, it's not that he's the mortal doctor. It's not that he's the whatever doctor. He's the emotionally available doctor. And I think that that's a good thing for Rose to have at the end of her journey here. How do you how do you feel about it? So it's t- absolutely tortured. <laughs> <laughs> completely and totally. Yeah. I thought this was devastating. I uh, and I I liked that part of it actually that it didn't feel neat and tidy that it was complex that I had to like kind of work through how I felt about it and that Rose in real time in the scene is working through how she feels about it like is saying 
out loud, he's not you. And and then Den says he needs you. That's very me, which was quite, quite sweet and quite sad. I liked that part of it. That's actually kind of emblematic because on the one hand, I liked that part of it, that he is acknowledging that Rose is capable of impacting and like morphing him, of genuinely, consequentially, tangibly changing him and making him better in a way that is distinct. I also was like, the course of the rest of Rose's life is now basically defined by like a homework assignment, <laughs> which is sort yeah, of yeah. tough. Fix him. Yeah, fix <laughs> Not him. Great. Not great. She's like, but yeah, I, I already, I already fixed you, and you're right yeah. here. Like, just, just say, say the thing homework. out loud that I know <laughs> you feel. Um, say it. That idea too of the one heart, the fact that they'll age together. Like, I thought that that was beautiful. And like something that that Rose deserves, right, is a person who is there and can be there like in lockstep with her to like live a life together and really be a partner for the span of the experience that they would share. That's wonderful. I'm glad that she has that. I think that the kind of interesting philosophical quandary is like, again, then is that the doctor. Well, what makes the doctor the doctor? What makes Rose and the doctor, Rose and the doctor together? That's ultimately for the characters to decide and figure out. And I think it's the thing that they bring out in each other is the answer, really. But I think, yes, I think what's also possibly true, if you think about like who, you know, she's like, she gives, she hits us with the old Bran Stark. I came all this way, right? Yes. You know, mm-hmm. um, but like the doctor that she knows is the doctor that she left in Doomsday. That doctor has had a lot more development since his whole time with Martha, his whole time with Donna. Yeah. She was absent. So my question is, like, is this doctor actually closer to her doomsday doctor Mm -hmm. than the doctor who has experienced midnight, who has experienced like all these other things? Do you know what I I mean? It's a great question. It's like it's it's a very black mirror thing to think about, like consciousness and what makes somebody who they are and whether a copy of you could be you. But like. I, hearing you say that, I could rebel against it a little bit more. Because on the one hand, maybe yes, then it they, it is the the doc her doctor in a way that the actual doctor kind of isn't anymore. I think that's an interesting way of thinking about it. But also, like, I don't know, part of what growing and living a life with somebody is, which is like the thing that she really wants, is like the experiences they have without you too, right? And how you make room for that in the life that you try to build together. I did feel like when Metacrisis Doctor said, I could spend it with you, his one life, if you want, that that was like a gift I was glad she received. I still can't help but wonder when she turns around and the other doctor's (laughs) leaving if she's like, fuck, he's the one I wanted. But the thing that honestly like crushed me the most was thinking about it from his, from Ten's perspective. Because I think he wants to be, giving he doesn't want metacrisis on the one hand he doesn't want metacrisis doctor to be a genocidal maniac right this weapon forged in a war on the other hand he genuinely wants rose to have this thing that he thinks he can't give her but i'm just like why can't you why can't you let yourself try it's just so heart-wrenching that doesn't need saying is like i'll think about that moment forever because what if he just said it 
what if he could allow himself to say it? And so you have this stretch at the end here, the end of, of Journey's End, and then again in the final the two-part special where he has to watch everybody else with somebody. Like, everybody and, has someone but, but him. And is that the burden of the immortal Time Lord who, you know, will outlive everyone who, you Heart- know. It's heartbreaking. It's horrifying. And, like, I will just say this. Like, what what happens? Like, Donna and the Doctor get in the TARDIS. They go away. Billy Piper gives us the old mascara down the face gasp that she's so good at. Queen. <laughs> um what happens next with the Metacrisis Doctor and uh, Rose? I have not checked this, but I guarantee you there's like millions of fan fictions about this. And I can I can I know exactly how they play out, which is like she doesn't want him at first and then they grow to love each other. I feel like I just, I just see I choose to see this. Again, emotional availability. I choose like, sure. ultimately. <laughs> Rose deserves that. Absolutely. Ultimately, yeah. Brown, original flavored doctor, just chose not to stay. It's true. So, yeah. Who wants be with the person who said, I want to spend my life with you? I think if it were a more active choice on her behalf, maybe I would feel that way about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the sneak away is not <laughs> ideal. All right. Heartbreaking. Uh, <laughs> Season four, episode 16, The Waters of Mars, directed by Graham Harper, written by Russell Davis and Phil Ford. Based on, it's a it's a 28 Days Later sort of riff, fast zombies, water zombies. Uh, Gemma Chan is here. Uh, the great Lindsay Duncan as Captain Adelaide Brooke. Uh, incredible. It, it, this is just like a classic space horror. We've seen a couple versions of this already in your run of Doctor Who. You will see it again. Um, but... Again, I just want to shout out an example in this episode of that thing that I was talking about where Russell U. Davies makes you care. There's this character, Steffi Ehrlich, who I we, we haven't spent much time with. But when the water is approaching her and she like calls up this video of her kids and she is like crying and her entire team is like calling for her and desperate and devastated that she's about to get hit by the water. I care. I get really yeah. upset. And I know next to nothing about this character. Right. And that's yeah. just like something Russell T. Davies is better than anyone else at, I think. So um, the Lonely Doctor. Here we are, right? Yeah. To Christina in the previous episode, we mentioned people have traveled with me and I've lost them, lost them all, never again. Donna oh. Noble's casting this long shadow on him. Also looming over him in this episode is the prophecy from yeah. Carmen in Planet yeah. of the Dead. Your song is ending, sir. It is returning. So he's, his death is looming over him. And this is when we get the Time Lord victorious, the literal Lord of Time, the nadir yep. of the 10th Doctor. Isaiah, will you please play this clip for me? For a long time now, I thought I was just a survivor, but I'm not. I'm the winner. That's who I am. The Time Lord Victorious. And there's no one to stop you. No. I chilling. I the the way that he is so self-congratulatory, right? He says, Is anyone gonna thank me? 
to to the crew, to the shell-shocked crew, who have just lost everyone that they cared about um, on the space station. In contrast to Martha's whole speech at the end of season three, when she's telling the people about the doctor, right? And she mm-hmm. says he's always there in the shadow, never, never asking to be thanked, right? Is something that she says. And he's like, who's going to thank me? You know what I mean? So yeah. the arrogance yeah. of the doctor, the self-congratulatory nature, the I am the Lord of time. And then for Adelaide to do what she does. Oh my God. Yeah. Dark, dark moment in this ostensible children's show, right? Commit suicide. Yeah. Um, this is originally supposed to be a Christmas special. They moved it off of Christmas, and I think for the better. Um, and uh Good Lord. And and the lesson that he learns there, right, is that uh time is a way of correcting itself. You know what I mean? He does this thing, he saves her. He wasn't supposed to, it was a fixed point in time. Time finds a way to to make the thing happen anyway. And uh Stephen Moffat will like sort of more uh, in-depth explain or or sort of explore this concept of the time as like a conscious force. Um and that'll be really interesting mm-hmm. for us to journey through. But I think this is the beginning of it because mm-hmm. we've had this idea of the time lords, but we haven't really thought about this idea of like time as this force. We get fixed things in time, blah blah blah. When he tries to exert his dominance over it, and it's like, oh, I'm bigger than you. You you things might call yourself the Time Lords, but I am time itself and I am bigger than you. And here's what's going to happen here. Okay. I am obsessed with this episode. I think about it all the time. I think about really the good. bravery of turning your hero into a villain, mm-hmm. which is who he is in the final moments of this episode. Mallory, how do you feel? Oh, man, I loved this episode. Absolutely bone chilling to watch the doctor behave this way and it was very gandalf frodo many that live deserve death some that die deserve life can you give that to them uh and how important it is for characters to confront that question and to hold on to that ensuing Gandalf, kernel of of wisdom and truth, you know, do not mm-hmm. be too eager to deal out death and judgment, or the inverse, like to try to. <laughs> and but again, like the, I think the richness of it is, he's actually trying. If you strip it down, to save people, to thwart some inevitability, and there's like a part of us that should want to root for that. Right, it's cloaked. That's what makes it even more insidious. Is cloaked yeah. in this sort of like righteous heroic do goodery. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, the thing that we've heard him say in the Pompeii episode and elsewhere, like I, I actually can't, I can't try to save these people. They're doomed. But when the quest to go the other way like manifests like this, just absolutely horrifying. And then to see him have to really like grapple with what he is capable of that cafe scene again with Wilf in end of time part one when Wilf asks who he has now and he says no one traveling alone I thought it would be better alone but I did some things that went wrong yeah I need and he 
can't even finish the sentence because he breaks down into tears and Wolf is like quivering, oh my word, reaching from across the table. I, I mean, have that he is... I have that as a I have that as a clip. I don't want to cut you saying it. I want I love you saying it. Let's hear t- let's hear Tennant say it too. Will, uh, Isaiah, will you play this clip? Yeah, how about you? What have you got now? No one. Traveling alone. I thought it was better, I thought. But I did some things that went wrong. I need... Oh, my word. (sighs) Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) I forgot. It says Merry Christmas. Uh, I'm gut-wrenching. Sorry, go on. Please, please continue. No, I just... So I love that, like, the episode sets up a moment like that, and it gets back to what you were saying earlier about how much of a progression there is across the season, how every little thing, like, builds toward this incredibly emotional reckoning and culmination of our time with 10. It's just, whew, man. Last but not least, The End of Time, part one and two, directed by Euros Lynn, written by Russell T. Davies. Uh, we already heard the first clip I was going to play that just devastating. There are three Wilf scenes in this episode. I mean, Wilf's here throughout, bless. Cafe scene. Yeah. Spaceship scene which i think you and i agree is yeah top tier doctor whoever (laughs) and then of course like locked (laughs) locked in a nuclear chamber scene uh that is some of the best television you will ever ever see the raw emotionality wilf is such we you know we already mentioned we love wilf but like this is where we just really need to celebrate wilf the choice to make wilf the doctor's 10's final companion Oh my God. Yeah. Fun, funny, delightful. His wonder, his delight to be along for this ride. Yes. The like, the antlers, the everything, the like, all, all the wolfiness with this just ready access to deep emotionality. And his admiration for the doctor is our admiration for the doctor. And his despair at losing the doctor is our despair at losing the doctor and it's just this idea of prophecy and destiny as you mentioned that is sort of like swirling around these characters right um the doctor says people waited hundreds of years to find me and then you manage it in a few hours will says well i'm just lucky i suppose and doctor says no we keep on meeting wilf over and over again like something's still connecting us and then this is where the doctor is Still quite rude. Again, on a downward spiral, right? (laughs) What's so important about me? Exactly. Why you? (laughs) I'm going to die. And Will says, well, so am I one day. And Doctor says, don't Don't you dare. All right. I'll try not to. Um, Anything else specifically you want to say about Wilf here in this this moment? Oh, boy. Um, I don't think anything could have prepared me for the moment when he knocked four times nothing i was bowled over by that and like the look on tenant's face when it's dawning on him like what it means i thought that was extraordinary just sensational a really clever red herring yes because we love to talk about how characters who are aware of a prophecy yeah 
think about it and try to avoid it and often end up fulfilling Self -fulfilling, it. Self-fulfilling, yeah. And like why, also why does, and so, so Tan, Tan keeps mentioning what he heard from, from Carmen. Sometimes it's because he is trying to work through it. Sometimes it's because he's afraid because he's not ready for it to end. Sometimes because he is trying to warn a character like the master about what awaits, like what they could bring uh, about by proceeding why does wolf end up in that chamber in the first place is because somebody else asked for help to get out and he just without thinking without hesitating for a second opened the other side and it's such a tiny background moment oh, when that happens yes. all this other stuff is happening and like just some guy needs help and wolf just like bops in there for him that's the other that's thing it. like you almost forget that he's in there and then you hear his fingers on the glass and it's like oh no, this is it because there's only one way that he can get out and it's for 10 to go in the other side. I thought that was just like absolutely heart-wrenching. Um, what else to say about Wolf? You know, we've talked about the the cafe scene a lot. I thought that uh, was one of the best scenes of the four seasons that I've watched so far. I absolutely loved it. I loved hearing 10 open up to Wolf and talk about what it what he's afraid of and what he's dreading. Like even then, even if I change, it feels like dying. Everything I am dies. Some new man goes sauntering away and I'm dead. Like, I don't think he would say that to everybody. And so it means something to hear it in general, but it really means something that Wilf is the one that he shared that with. When we see Donna through the window and Wilf is begging Ten to help her remember I was like, I was just like weeping. I was just sobbing on my couch watching this. It was so fucking heartbreaking. And Tan asking, is she happy? Is he nice? But when Wilf said specifically, sometimes I see this look on her face like she's so sad, but she can't remember why. Oh my God. It was just absolutely gut-wrenching. The ship scene, sublime. Top tier, exceptional. Oh. On the on the ship scene front, um, we're we're uh, running along, so I'm gonna I'm gonna cut a clip or two. So Isaiah, will you will you play clip number eleven for me here? It's not like I'm an innocent. I've taken lives, and I got worse. I got clever, manipulated people into taking their own. Sometimes I think a time lord lives too long. That idea of like sometimes I think a time lord yeah. lives too long, and also the cleverness, that clever, that defense that he throws up in midnight, and and the way in which he needs to think about how that is actually a weakness for him, and thinking about the family of blood and that vindictive, you know, end for all of those, uh, you know, all of those monsters. That self reflection, it. It it is what makes Ten such an interesting character for me because like when you were early early in your watch you were talking about your wonderful husband Adam's reaction to Ten and like his his criticisms of some of his behavior and I'm like I I agree and that's what I love about Ten yeah is he's so fucked up yeah. and 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 striving for heroism but often fucking up and again I think it's because he's the most human of all the doctors yes again I think this. And so that quote that you cited from the cafe scene where he's talking about regeneration, no other doctor talks about regeneration this way. No other doctor is this bitter 
about their ending. Um, and it is very human of him to fear death, to fear regeneration, to throw a goddamn tantrum. Yes. Yeah. When right. he finds out what's going to happen. Well, right. exactly. Look at you. Not remotely important. But me, I could do so much more. So much more. But this is what I get. My reward. And it's not fair. And then he goes and he pulls himself. Oh, I've lived too long. Right. Oh, man. And then the sweetener after that is it's my honor. Of course. Genuinely delivered. It's my honor. Right. To save you, Wilf. Who are you? But this is my honor. This is how I want to go. But that attitude of the doctor, I don't I don't think it's a bug. I think it's a feature of of what of the kind of unique creation this particular doctor is, because if you zoom forward to Ten's goodbye, I don't want to go. Oh, my God. Um, It's so different from the other final lines of the other doctors. I won't spoil what's to come. From, from the doctors we'll get going forward. But if you go into the past, you get, yeah. well, then here we go, the long way around from the first doctor. Or a tear, Sarah Jane, no, don't cry. Well, there's life, there's... And then it's the end, but the moment has been prepared for. Or physician, heal thyself. Or our guy nine, Rose, before I go, I just want to tell you, <laughs> you were fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. You know what? So was I. So good. All of that is like the doctor with his idea of like, what is death to a to a time lord? It's not, it's not what it is for a human. Not 10, though. Right. For 10, it's like, this is the end of me. This is the end of of the face that Rose Tyler loves. Right. This is the end of me. And that ego, that very human, very fragile ego that he has. Sets him apart from all the other doctors who are more alien or more childlike or more like all these other things. Uh, it's what makes him so he, the darkness in him is so fascinating to me. So I love that. The the humanity is so on display too when he says, like, I'd be proud of what if you were my oh dad my to Wolf. Like that's just such a human moment between yeah. them. And I think that well, the other thing I really love about it is that it allows all of that to to go in both directions because like when Wilf is on on the ship insisting literally ordering him to take the gun mm -hmm. right what does he what does he say it's not just he's got the kind of like logical part of it initially with don't you dare put him before them mm -hmm. but it ends with that just the depth of connection that people forge with each other please don't die you're the most wonderful man, man. and i don't want you to die if wilf were thinking about the long life and regeneration of the doctor and the fact that the doctor could come back with another face and he'd still be there he wouldn't he couldn't say that and feel that that way in that moment but that face that doctor is is everything to wilf and so like to lose that is to lose the thing completely even if there's a rational part of his mind that understands that that isn't true and that's the other thing i loved and will always remember about the end of time part two is the reward the goodbye going and saying it. goodbye or not saying goodbye like it's just maybe a look or a wave i will i i was uh, to see Ten look at Donna as she's getting married across a fucking cemetery. Like he's staring at this like bloom of life and new hope across a graveyard was just so 
heartbreaking. And it's like, you don't get moments like that if that particular doctor didn't think that the fact that he was seeing those people for the last time with that face and that body and this exact version of himself was really the last time that that could happen in that way. For some reason, and I could not tell you why, in that scene, what got me this time in a way that's never gotten me before is the fact that, like, the, the you know, the lottery ticket that he buys that yeah. he, like, goes and gets the money from Donna's dad, oh which God. is a gift he kind of gives to Sylvia. Again, yeah. a character who has, like, not done much to earn our affection, yeah. but she just, like, crumples at that, and he's just, like, giving this beautiful gift. Um have it said have that on me oh my god absolutely i'm i'm done toast like absolutely so beautiful kills me or the look on the very you know like okay listen i don't think it's great that martha ends up with mickey but whatever that's fine but what i do like in that moment is is Anne with sarah jane has the same thing they don't get a verbal goodbye but they know what it is yes they understand so just by looking and 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 mickey and martha sort of clutching at each other you know, or Sarah Jane having her reaction. Um, and then do you want to talk about bringing Jessica Hines back in, um, in this goodbye tour? Verity. <sighs> the journal of impossible things, this idea that nurse Redfern's great, great granddaughter has written down this tale and that she's signing these books and he walks up and she says who's it for and he says the doctor and she says to the doctor funny that's the name he used and looks up and realizes and the things that can pass between characters in this show like on Tennant's face just in the span of a second is I think really extraordinary was she happy in the end yes Yes, she was. Were you? I mean, we talked so much last pod about like the way that in the John Smith persona, that anguish with which he had to confront like what 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 sort of man is that? Like somebody who doesn't have room in his life for love and that kind of depth of devotion or who has to think about devotion in a different way for him to be thinking about that here at the very end was just like really heavy. Um, on a lighter note, Captain Jack gets a, gets a hookup with a midshipman frame, Alonso from uh, the Titanic. Uh, the context here is that the character of Yanto Jones, who was Jack's love interest on Torchwood died sort of right before this. So it's like, he's mourning the loss of his boyfriend, Yanto Jones. And so the doctor's like, here, meet meet midshipman frame here um and it's just very charming i love russell tovey who plays um you know alonzo so i that's just like a really fun little moment and as you said we get a little parade of critters yeah um there in the in the in the cantina um and then the gutting you know rose moment he can't say goodbye to his rose because she's in another you know universe so he goes back and we meet rose where we first met her Long hair, a beanie covering the wig. Thank you. Bless you, Russell T. Davies, for that. I appreciate you. Um, <laughs> and it's just charming. Jackie and Rose just like having a little banter, a little New Year's banter. You know, her being like, you all right, mate? You know, and she doesn't know who she's talking to. It's just, and the score, and I just, I, 
I love the full circle of that. It's so beautiful. I bet really, you're really have a really great year. <laughs> I can't. Um, <sighs> the last thing I want to say about the this doctor's attitude towards death or this doctor's attachment to his face, this person, blah, 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 et cetera, is that like my interpretation, again, there's no there's no evidence for this necessarily. My interpretation is that like this is what happens when you regenerate in the middle of being in love with someone, right? Because I think we could say that the ninth doctor was already well on his way or halfway in love with Rose or whatever. And the love story between the doctor and the companion isn't really something that they explore on this level uh, before or since. So like the doctor in love with his companion, people please do email me if you disagree. There are some like flirtations or whatever, but like this is love to me. And so like the ninth doctor nursing his wounds from doing a genocide latches on to this woman, falls in love with her. And in the middle of that turns into someone else and turns into someone who is so attached to her that to lose this version of himself is to lose that all over again. And because who he's going to become is him, but isn't him, you know what I mean? And is, is that doctor going to be in love with Rose, you know, and, and often. And so what will happen next is, Matt Smith will meet his next companion. And that is the core relationship going forward. You know what I mean? So it's just really the end. It's Russell T. Davies mourning the end of his time on Doctor Who. It's David Tennant mourning the end of his time on Doctor Who. It's the end. It's a clear end of an era. Matt Smith pops in. How did you feel about seeing the baby that is Matt Smith in, so in the young. old brown suit? <laughs> oh, my goodness. He looked so young. I'm 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 excited. Geronimo. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, I've lived too long bleeding into the youngest in both personality and age of performer doctor we've ever gotten. Really excited for that. Anything else you want to say? We're running longer than I meant to, and I am unsurprised. Not, I'm also unsurprised. <laughs> One of the great seasons of TV here in our, our last run with 10. Um, should we do rapid, rapid, rapid fire superlatives? Absolutely, we should. Favorite line? I guess with apologies to Peter Parker, I'm going to go with the doctor's I don't want to go. It's just absolutely shredded me, but I, my runner-up will be Wilf's don't say that like it's shameful, which destroyed me. Oh my God. When he's talking about how he's never killed someone. Yeah. Love that. Love that. I love this early Donna line when like the, the doctor is saying something snarky about humans. And she says, is that why you travel around with a human by your side? It's not so you can show them the wonders of the world. It's so you can take cheap shots. <laughs> it's just like, I love you, Donna. Oh, amazing. Best, best villain. Oh, it's got to be the Time Lords. I mean, not only the return of the master, but <laughs> welcome to the party, Timothy Dalton. I Lord can't believe President. we haven't mentioned Holy Timothy shit. Dalton. Yeah. We haven't even really talked about the master either, but it's very cool that the master is here at the end of all things. This was obviously. wild. Yeah, I really um, I, I really like this and hearing hearing the doctor talk about the depth of horror <laughs> that he had thwarted and needed to find a way to thwart again was like absolutely chilling. And that re um that recontextualizing of who the time lords are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which yeah. he we skipped over that part that I meant to talk about, but like I think that that is a huge part of again why he's racing towards latching onto a humanity. 
because being a Time Lord is so uncomfortable for him because right. of who they actually are. Yeah. You've seen um, my enemies, Wolf. The Time Lords are more dangerous than any of them. Yeah. <gasps> Fucking incredible. Um. All right. Um. right. I'm going to give it. We already talked enough about Sky. Love and Bless her. Absolutely is my real answer. But I would just want to shout out the Vashnarada. Yeah. The shadows. <laughs> yeah. Great. Great villain. Um, best. Best fit of the season. Oh, uh, this is easy for me. It's the doctor's fit uh, at the beginning of the end of time part one when he's in the brown suit and the brown coat, but he's wearing sunglasses, a pink lay and a straw hat oh, talking yeah. about how he just got married. Got married. That was a mistake. Good Queen Bess. And let me tell you, our nickname is no longer <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> That's going to come back. QE2 QE, QE is coming back. Uh, no, QE1. Oh, boy. The Virgin Queen herself. Yeah, his his like vacation doctor. So good. Talking to the Ood. <laughs> I love it. By the that. way, Brian Cox is also here. There's a bunch of people we haven't talked about who are here. Oscar winner Daniel Kaluuya is here. Like, yeah. You know, we... yeah. Well, we have best guest star coming up as our next. Oh, sorry. So true. You could pick best any guest... of them. Be- well, best my best fit is Donna's iconic brown leather duster, which I just think is yeah. such a great look. Uh, best guest star. Holly Rubin. I'm going to go with Timothy Dalton. It's great. His, his narration just like gives the whole thing this like yeah and it's also yeah. like it's ominous but it's kind of soothing and gentle at yeah. first you're sort of lulled into this false sense yeah. of like uh that fairy tale aesthetic and then boom no he's a he's a monster who wants to destroy everyone and um got a gauntlet consciousness itself move over thanos <laughs> um yeah i'm gonna give it uh to not one of the big names i'm gonna give it to leslie sharp as guy sylvester i just i just i just her face haunts my dreams um <laughs> horniest moment I'll, I'll go first and just say Ooh. that we've already mentioned mine it's when um captain jack says i can't even tell you what i'm thinking right now yeah that's uh, probably mine too though also shout out to donna when she meets captain jack like she's so good delighted uh, to meet him <laughs> cringiest low budget moment I don't know if this is just a sign that I'm fully into the who I, but I kind of this season was like, oh, yeah, look at these adipose fat babies that look like just little like blobs of marshmallow. I love it. <laughs> I actually like had a lot of affection for it. Yeah. Um, I guess my pick, I'm going to go with the master's constantly flashing electroskeleton skull. skull. <laughs> It's pretty jarring the 5,000 times that we saw it. I mean, shout out John Sim for like great stuff. That whole like sticky hot, blah, 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 like all that like disgusting meat sort of I'm monologue that he has. Starving. Yeah, so, so gross. Um, I, I I have to give it to the adipose babies. It's either them or uh, <laughs> so the, the, Ves- the Vesuvius <laughs> rock monsters. One of those. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, point, funniest moment. Shout out to the tiny throwaway moment. In Poison Sky, when Ten puts on a gas mask and says, "Are you my mummy?" (laughs) (laughs) I love a in-universe callback. Thank you for that. Fantastic. Mine, uh, mine's got to be Partners in Crime. The when Ten and Donna spot each other for the the looking glass of the door and the window, and the way that they are mouthing to each other, and we're following this whole conversation. The expressions on their faces absolutely killed me and then donna just freezing midpoint when they realized that miss foster is listening to them it's just so 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 funny i loved it i was cracking up yeah shout out uh 
the great Sarah Lancashire, who is also uh, in that episode. Okay. Um, most oh, emotional moment. I mean, we've talked about all of the contenders at length. I think the the yeah. finalists are like, for me, Tan and Rose saying goodbye to each other again. Donna losing her memories. Uh, Tan and Wilf, their various scenes in, in the end of time. And then I think I'm going to go with Ten's reward. Just watching him go look upon (laughs) with his own eyes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All of the people he's loved, it it absolutely wrecked me. Like, wrecked me. I have to go with Donna's final moment. Yeah. Don't make me go back. I can't go back. Please don't make me go back. Um, awful. <laughs> all right. This has been tremendous uh, exploration of who with you. Um, I want to play one last clip and it is forward looking towards the future of the doctor and Donna. Is that will you play this last clip, please? Don't you see? You need her, doctor. I mean, look, wouldn't she make you laugh again? Good old Donna. Good old Donna. Good old Donna is on her way to make us laugh again in the uh, anniversary specials. Can't wait. She's going to be very mad at the doctor is my anticipation. And I'm excited for her to dress him down. It's going to be really fun. Um, and before then, we're going to spend time with Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi, Jodie Whittaker. It's going to be great. Uh, so this has been Doctor Who season four. Thanks to Molly Rubin. Thanks. So Isaiah Blakely for playing one million clips for me. I really appreciate you. And for listening to us cry. I really appreciate you for that. <laughs> Thanks to Arjun Rangapal, or my my who also Midnight is also his favorite episode of Doctor Who. He's he's a he's a hardcore who head, Arjuna. Love that. Thanks to Jomia Dinneron for his work on the social. Um we'll be back for Secret Invasion next week. We promise this time. Uh, <laughs> and stay tuned for video game pod on Monday. Uh, the mid edition Barbie episode over the weekend. Go watch Jess's Secret Invasion video. Uh, thank you so much. I don't want to go. 